Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. This week, we have Mark Karras, who is a therapist who helps um, predominantly couples, but he also has written an incredible book called Religious Refugees. I got an advanced copy um, and, and had the privilege of reading through that. And honestly, I think it's a fantastic um, tool for a lot of people that are going through the process of deconstruction, maybe even hoping, is there something on the other side? Can I reconstruct something? Uh, and, and does a great job without being too prescriptive as to what reconstruction should be helping people in at least uh, looking forward uh, with optimism and hope. And so let's jump in to the chat with Mark. Wonderful. Well, I have to say, I absolutely, uh, I, I hadn't, dude, have we crossed paths before? Because I can't recall coming across you on social media or anything like that. And your book kind of came out of nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. And I get people asking me to write an a endorsement for them fairly often. And I'm like, oh, dude, I have so many to do. I struggle to read the books. I have to. And I, I've got to be honest, if I didn't see the endorsements that had already been re- written, I'd have been ah. like, and it's the fact that I was like, dude, every single page I turned, I was like, there's so many endorsements in every single one. I'm like, I love these people. <laughs> these are my people. Um, no doubt. No doubt. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I started reading the book and I just got grabbed. It's a fantastic book. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm already telling people, I was telling people last night, um, I was like, guys, this book's coming out in a week or so and you better get on it because it's fantastic. Um, yeah, so, I, pre- I um, really appreciate that. I'm really excited. Yeah. Because there's of, not uh, that many great resources, you know, there, there really isn't. There's, there's not. There's, um, yeah, there's just a couple that are very explicit about this journey, especially getting mm-hmm. into the nuances and nuts and, nuts and bolts. But, you know, I read Brian McLaren's A New Kind of Christian almost 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, so, yeah. Which, I mean, which is would, fantastic, but it's a totally different concept as well to some degree. I, 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 I'm really excited. I'm hoping to talk to Brian in a few weeks because um, I've not seen him for a couple of years, but I feel like there's a, there's a danger in conflating um, all people that are in this journey of deconstruction with mm-hmm. the progressive church movement, which it is not, you know, right, um, some right, people right. move through that path and some mm-hmm. people even settle there, but a huge portion of people, that's not what they're looking for at all. It's just another form of fairly rigid Christianity. It's just another side of a, Richard Quinn. Um, it's just, it's it, just a hipper. It's a hipper. It, more yeah, progressive. Well, it, it's the left and right quote unquote, or it's the liberal to the conservative to the whatever, but it's still a very, um, still very yeah. dualistic. Um, and I yeah, know that, yeah. He's actually coming out with a book. I was in, uh, talking with him and coming out with a book in 2021 on this topic of mm-hmm. kind of deconstruction, reconstruction. Although the title of his book is, uh, has to do with doubt. But right. then Jennifer Knapp is coming out with a book on this yeah. topic as well um, in the next year about. So it's just yeah. uh, everyone's doing it. But, it, yeah, it's different. It, it's a different, different season, uh, different, you know, it's, I mean, the sociologists are, you know, the term is de-churched yep. or done. So they are trying to give a specific yep. label to a specific group of people. Yeah. But, but even in that, that I've, I've talked to quite a few sociologists because what I'm doing, I'm actually doing quite a lot of research for a local research company here in the UK. Um, yeah. And looking at researching people that are identifying as deconstructed, but um, talking to, I don't know if you've come across um, Packard. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he wrote a great book. Uh, yeah, he, he's a, he's an endorser. Yeah. Okay, so talking to oh yeah, okay, so yeah, I did see his name. So talking yeah, yeah. to, but like the thing is, dechurched is not necessarily deconstructed. There's a big overlap where a lot of people deconstruct and they are not either free to leave their church, they don't desire to leave their church, or they have found a church that facilitates deconstruction on some level. There are churches, uh, especially if the pastor deconstructs and manages to bring people with them. And so there's this weird gray area where there's plenty of people that maybe psychologically Mm -hmm. have disconnected from the church a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. They're still there. They're, they're stuck with their wife and their kids or they're the pastor or, you know, like whatever. So there's there's all these different brackets, right? The duns, the nuns, the, um, the nomads you had a great list of all these different names um, yeah 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 and that, you're, you're so right because it's it's an you know it does an injustice to the complexity of people's lived experiences yeah. when we put a label on them yeah so de-churched is one label that josh packard and his work is using but as you just mentioned which nomads, is great work as well i don't mean to i think it's fantastic yeah that, yeah that group Ab- uh, absolutely and you're right to say that under that umbrella is, and I think Kathy Escobar uses different terms and Kinnaman's work from the Barner group, sort of the subcategories, right? The nomads and the exiles and all these yeah. different. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's complex. No, the company I'm working with in the UK is a company called Ida Research. Um, they're probably the kind of like um, up and coming direct competitors for Barner. Because um, really in the UK, oh, Barner uh-huh. is it, you know, and there's not many people that are faith-based research that, that's happening Threat yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. And um, and so they're they're um, an up and coming research company. I'm just very lucky that I'm very close to the director of their company. Um, so I was nice. like, guys, I want to start doing this. I want to start working on it. I've got a network of at least a thousand people that are keen to be doing research. They're like researchers. Um, yeah, and so we're yeah, slowly yeah. building that um, as a study. But my heart is not to to hone down who are these people and kind of put them in a box. But actually, it's almost to actually blow that box wide open and go. Look mm-hmm. at what we're looking at here. There is, uh, I just put out our first piece of information. And what's fascinating is um, we, we looked at church attendance and we mapped to, I don't know if you've um, come across uh, the religious um, oh, faith Relig- development scale. Um, so it's been developed mm-hmm. for about 30 years. It was rooted in um, James Fowler's work and then it's kind mm-hmm. of evolved over the years. Um, and uh, I think Irene Harris was the person that did it uh, with someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, She's mm-hmm. a sociologist, uh, maybe psychologist, sociologist, that kind of world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but she looks at the psychology of faith and how it impacts different things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so what we what, what we initially theorized in our study was, can we look at the religious uh, faith development scale, which maps people's faith kind of from a baseline to a more progressive, not progressive as in left, liberal, leaning but just in that they become more open in their faith and explore and more intentional in, in how broadly they explore it can we can we map these people that are going on this journey on that scale and can you then associate those with different things um, and so what we yeah. found was across this group that's saying they're deconstructed there was loads of people that still attended churches it, it's very different to evangelical but it's very similar to um uh, like mainline uh, Protestantism, Catholicism, Orthodox had roughly the same kind of church attendance uh, as deconstructed Christians, apparently. But what's yeah, interesting yeah. is as you look at their faith development, as they develop their faith more, you see their church attendance just plummet off off, <laughs> off a cliff. It just disappears mm-hmm. um, at certain points. And so there's certainly some dynamic of the further along you go, the more you start to go, this isn't working for me. 
uh, which right. is really interesting. And so we, we even mapped that mm -hmm. to their comfort levels as well. So how comfortable do you feel in church, which was the same thing. Um, it yeah, is fascinating. Yeah. Really interesting. So, so do they be, do they become the de-church then? Like those Very people possible. who are who are deconstructing, and you know, I'm in church, and yeah, you know, I'm listening to Peter Enns and you know, this podcast, and I, I, yeah, deconstructing. But then they eventually church is a slippery slope. True, and right? then <laughs> and then they are the ones Josh Packard is interviewing yeah. as. Yeah. So that's Those that's one of our hypotheses. So we're doing um, small, short surveys every couple of months on different topics, but we're also tracking certain baselines along the way. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're hoping that, you know, over five years, we can start going, oh, people here go here on the whole. Yeah. It might be variations, but it's very exciting. I'm very excited about it. Um, really cool. It's so wild. And yeah. I did read, it, it was in one of Josh Packard's uh, articles. It wasn't in the book. Sure. And there was some co-authors, I forget the names, but they made this statement that I actually contacted Josh about. And it was a very skeptical, negative statement saying, they suspect that in the years to come, those who are de-churched will eventually no longer even hold to a spirituality. Mm. That because, because there will be nothing to sustain them. There will be no, the rituals are gone, the structures are gone, and they perceive years down the road that eventually, because there's no kind of roots anywhere, that they, they won't have the necessary structural resources to maintain mm. their, their roots in, in, especially in the Christian faith more specifically. What do you, what do you think about that? I contacted him about that because I said, man, this is, do you believe this? He actually, he didn't. Now, okay. apparently it was one of, I think a, one of the co-authors, it, it was encouraged to put in there for whatever reason, but he made a comment to the effect of, you know, how can we limit the spirit, right? Mm -hmm. How can, how can we really say that, that all, you know, although the structure will change, we can have hope basically that the, the spirit is, is up to good things. Yeah. And, uh, so that was, uh, you know, he left with a positive yeah. outcome. I tried to, I tried to get him on his podcast. He's, he's busy. He's just shifted to working in a new field and he's got a lot of stuff going on. Um, so hopefully in the future, maybe, uh, down yeah. the line. but, um, it, it's intriguing to me because, uh, I think, the, the woman that he did the church refugee book with and, and that art, that paper and that study with both of them are um, committed conventional Christians to some degree. Is, is that right from what you understand as well? Or? That was my hypothesis. And then that's what he, I assumed going in. I, I, he I've not re he read my it. book and then I was like, Hey Josh, are you sure? I know you're endorsing this. You know, I'm just curious, you know, right, I yeah. said some feisty things and, and he didn't disagree with anything. Interesting. And so I was very surprised because my maybe, maybe was, we should get him to do the uh, religious faith development scale. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No. It, yeah. It's, it's interesting because I do wonder as well because I just remember reading that book and just thinking there's so much to watch for. I, I'm very conscious of this doing research. This is why I involved a research company because my background's not in sociology research, psychology, right. any of these fields. Never mind mm -hmm. the, the 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 extra layer of research, which is a whole world, you know, just changing one thing can screw everything, you know, just oh, yeah. working with a scale. I'm, I was talking to them and I'm like, can we change the wording of this? I don't think deconstructed people are going to like the wording of this scale. And they're like, this scale has been developed for 30 years. It's been honed. It's been <laughs> peer reviewed hundreds of times. 
yeah. you change the wording on it, you're going to have to start from scratch and spend Isn't about four crazy? or five years building it back up to being a credible mm-hmm. scale. And I was like, all right, let's work with some crappy wording. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, or, it's worth it, or, you know? Yeah. Um, or develop I'm not spending five years right now, but yeah, well, exactly. If I, if I build yeah. my own, I'm going to have to spend years. But hopefully what my goal is to then build on this and, and create yeah. a scale that maybe is more practical. But, but I'm so aware of my own bias, right? So I'm, I'm from within mm-hmm. that world to some degree. And so I'm, I'm working with it. That's one of the big things I'm constantly going to them going, am I making sure that I'm covering my own biases? I'm not trying to get the information I want to get. And I'm, I'm really, this is something I've seen from this, the data. And I don't know when you were researching for your book, if you came mm-hmm. across this, but I look at something like Barner's research and I go, mm-hmm. this is a bunch of very um, conventional Christians doing mm-hmm. research Absolutely. on people that are quote unquote, no longer Christian. Um, even the way mm-hmm. that they categorize people often, I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's such a black and white, just discrediting of an entire field and lumping everyone in with, I don't know, atheists or people that leave the church and are done. And, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it feels like there's a real problem with that world of, of people portraying this group. It, it can be very poorly portrayed. Like uh, you talked about that in your book really well, I think. Um, mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. know if you could talk about that a bit, uh, just in your opinions, um, what are some of the the problems that we're having with the, the conventional um, broader church community, Christian community and how they perceive this group. Do, do you have thoughts on that? Cause I know you, you, you talked about it a little yeah. bit really well. Yeah. I mean the, the perception only perpetuates the marginalization of what I deem as fellow Christians, mm. right? Just by the way we talk about uh, people, just the way that people are, gosh, I was just talking to somebody yesterday and, like, I always think there's going to be a time where I'm just kind of accepted. I'm on the fringes in my fellow Christian community. And then I get told once again yesterday that I'm going to hell and that I'm a false prophet. And then it's my ideas are dangerous. And But that's the problem is, is it's, it's just they can't – it's – and in my best days, I think, well, that's a diversity of opinions in my family. They just happen to hold a more conservative, I hate labels, but a more uh, literal conservative, um, you know, a very certain hermeneutic Mm -hmm. that every passage of scripture in the Bible, you know, uh, they could take genre into consideration, but if a text says God said this or God did this, it literally and objectively happened in human history. Yeah. But then I say, my God, and I, someone wrote on this too, this has to be a virus in the mind. Hmm. You're sitting there judging me. You're threatening, you're threatening me. My nervous system is I could feel like I'm, I, am, I feel like I'm getting attacked. Like it would be saying like the most dangerous person in, in the United States is going to come after you and kill you and torture you. But now we're talking about the God of the universe. Right, but to the nth degree. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, I'm getting anxious here. Then I'm I'm noticing, you know, I'm into kind of mindfulness and like he's kind of a father figure. So now my nervous system is really amped up and it's, mm. I'm like, I be, I, I kind of, do I believe what he's saying? Now I'm getting nervous. Maybe I am a false prophet. But then I'm like, no. And then I'm like, yeah. how could you threaten me that way? It's such an assault to my psyche. It's such a, an assault to our psyche. The, we are legion. 
We are those who the church is saying, you're heretics, you're following Satan. There's something wrong with you, right? Like, just the bit, by the way they're talking about us, yeah. you know, as opposed to Jeez. seeing us as part of the family. And maybe we're, we're different, we're unique, but so are you. Why can't we embrace the diversity and the reality that there are 30,000 different, you know, sects and denominations? Yeah. But it can't. It's just one way. This is the way. And if you don't believe this, then. And I said, so are you saying that if I don't have the right knowledge about God, that I'm going to be tortured for eternity? Like, I'm telling you, brother, that I love Jesus. I have a heart and passion for the church. I love God. I just read these verses a little different than you. So are you saying to me, yes, because you're not following, you're not following the tr- his words, the true Jesus. Mark, you have an imaginary Jesus. This was just yesterday. Wow. Ah. Dang. You're, you're a psychologist, right? Is that right? A uh, licensed uh, marriage and family therapist. Therapist. Okay. Do, do you yeah. work with um, with people through these particular issues with, with religious kind of um, baggage, or is that a totally kind of separate world for you? No, I, I work with all kinds of issues and concerns, sure. and the religious uh, concerns and issues obviously comes up, not only as sure. individuals, but I do specialize in couples work too. So seeing those dynamics come up in couples work. Yeah, because I, I remember reading, um, I think it was in um, uh, Leaving the Fold, what's her name, Winnell, uh, Marlene Winnell. Yeah, Marlene Winnell. Right? I, I remember reading her description. I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I, I rarely get to talk to uh, psychologists about this kind of like, or, or people that are within that mm-hmm. kind of world of therapy and just dealing with people's pains, hurts, traumas. Yeah. I remember reading her talking about post-traumatic stress and how a lot of it is rooted in this um threat uh, that you come under you feel a threat of your of your life of your livelihood there's a threat of injury you know these kind of d- dynamics in place can create this huge post-traumatic stress that goes on uh, beyond that um mm-hmm. and, and and i remember her saying now is there ever a greater threat of injury <laughs> or a threat of death than the yes. god of the universe saying if you're wrong i'm gonna kill you i'm gonna torture you for eternity um, and, I, and that oh just clicked for me, and I was like, "Wow!" And and this is her um, her framework is religious uh, trauma syndrome, um, yeah, which I know yeah. there's different people have different views within that being a specific diagnosis or whatever. I, I'm very happy to to have that mm-hmm. uh, as the case. Um, but I, I wonder what's going on there psych- psychologically, because a lot of people that are listening to this, a lot of people that talk to me day in and day out, I'm sure a lot of people that come, you come across. Mm-hmm have these kind of backgrounds where that is their backgrounds and they, they are talking to their friends and it is, it's just triggering these things. It's, it's Mm -hmm. their voice in their head is the God of universe is displeased with you right now. What if you're wrong? You know, I I have people that send me messages and like, Phil, I've not believed in hell for about 12 years. And yet I wake up once or twice a week in a cold sweat because I've dreamed Mm -hmm. I got sent there. And it's like, what do you do? Like, you know, like, Mm-hmm. How, how do people um how do how do you how do you see people working through these kind of conditions and these issues because that's one of the i mean i'm always like find someone that specializes in right, religious right, trauma right. complex ptsd mm. something like that but i don't know i don't even know how to begin i know she's got in her books and helpful exercises and things mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. How, how would you recommend people start working on those kind of issues yeah 
I, what's going on there? What, what's, sure, what's going sure. on within that? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about what's going on and then what are some helpful ways to deal with those things. Sure. Just as a side, Marlene Winnell's book is, it's, it's, it's good. One, one of my, it's not even a criticism, it's just an objective reality that she's, her book is not very um, friendly towards reigniting one's faith again, right? It's, it, it's less it's, even it's keeled. Not, it's not like Kathy Escobar's book where, you know, it's trying to help you reconstruct your faith, but really she's coming from a strict psycholo- psychologist yeah. framework who's been affected by it too. But. And she sees pretty much all kind of types of religion to some degree or another as being fairly toxic and one needs to come out of that. Like that, yeah, that seems yeah. to be where she's coming from when you read through it. Um, sure, sure, sure. Which, sure. Yeah, so, yeah. Great stuff. And, and people, you know, there's going to be people who need that because I've already had, I had some early readers read my book and they said, I can't do it. It's too triggering for me. Mm. They're not sure that they want to reconstruct their faith. Yeah. And so while my, while my book is not big on strong and saying what that faith journey should be and very kind of open that way, yeah. it was just so triggering where reading Winnell's book would, would be uh, a bit more helpful uh, for where they're at. Yeah. So, so back to the trauma, not everyone who experiences religious abuse or goes through the deconstruction, reconstruction journey has experienced trauma. Mm. So let's, let's differentiate that. They might have gone through that, but just like, you know, just like an event, I have a twin brother. We went through an event together. I was traumatized. He wasn't. So people can go through the same experiences, but not have trauma reactions, not have post-traumatic stress disorder Mm. symptoms, right? Not have religious trauma, so to speak. So, but those who do, gosh, it's, it's, we're talking about PTSD, right? We're talking about hypervigilance. We're talking about insomnia. We're talking about an inability to sleep right, or, you know, this extra anxiety, this, having issues maybe with food and, you know, just watching around and it's not a safe place. Yeah. And it's very traumatic and hell can be traumatic. Like you said, 12 years later, I don't believe it. And that's where we can, it's kind of like phantom theologies, right? Mm -hmm. Where somebody whose limb is cut off, it's not there, but they can have experiences of as if it really is there. But for me, for someone to have a phantom theology around hell, shows how violent this doctrine is to mm. the human soul. Yeah. That, that somebody could not even believe it intellectually anymore, but that, that violent belief can have such a way in one's human psyche that it can create trauma symptoms, can yeah. create you know, nightmares for a person, uh, a trigger, and automatically maybe someone can have a panic attack. This is very serious stuff. And I don't know how the oxygen of heaven, of freedom, of love, of truth, of gentleness, of faithfulness, of self-control, of how that has anything to do with this type of violence. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, some principles that Jesus shows us and talks about, it can feel uncomfortable. Don't get me wrong. And what's interesting is sometimes love itself can feel traumatic. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Love can be hell for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But um, for, for some of these people, this, this should not, yeah. there's something amiss here uh, with this, this notion. And, and you have a whole nother dynamic as well of that, where you can intellectually be going, yeah, okay. I know this is traumatic. I know that, you know, like this is just ingrained in me, but there's a whole nother voice in there going, but what if it's God's kind of going, no buddy, Phil, I'm trying to bring you back in. I'm trying to remind you hell's real and you're, you're off the wrong, you know, because even how we hear God is so interwoven with our own voice in our head, our own um, thoughts Uh, that when you have those traumatic thoughts, those traumatic voices in your head, Mm -hmm, it's very mm -hmm. hard even still to kind of disconnect from like that. It just adds a whole nother layer of possible doubts that maybe, uh, maybe actually, maybe hell is, you know, or, and that's how a lot of Christians would frame it, right? They'd be like, well, maybe God's trying to get your attention. Or I'm, That's, that's why this dynamic. is, I mean, listen, you can, you can bake a cake and say, man, I'm not sure if this is the right ingredient. Like I, I could, you know, I could ruin this cake, but man, if you're not right about the, the eternal, <laughs> like yeah. my God, hell, like torture. I, I don't know, like pitchforks, like, what the hell does that even mean uh, for eternity? Not 10 years, 20, 100,000. Eternity is a very long time. Yeah. So it leaves an indelible mark in the nervous system, in the body, mm. which is why talking about how do you get out of some of this stuff, you can't talk your way out of it. Mm. And that's that's in line even with our field in psychotherapy. The, the day and age of talk therapy is is coming to an end. Or it'll probably be there for a while, but it's it's we're realizing that talking about things is not enough. Mm. Learning things intellectually is not enough because trauma resides in the body, in what's called the mind body. So it's in a different part of the nervous system we have. So in other words, someone can, yeah, God loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. But in their heart, they might say, you know, Jesus uh, hates me, you know, yeah. like Jesus doesn't like me. Um, so there's, in, so neuroscience even tells us now that there's a difference between what we can believe in our prefrontal cortex, our logical brain, and our implicit nervous system. So right. there is sort of this, you can believe one thing here, but in your body and your nervous system, you can believe something very different. Right. So telling people yeah, you know what? God's not going to send you to hell. God really loves you. That can fall so flat. Yeah. So oh, and it does, right? We've all, right, because right. we've all been out there trying to evangelize with that message before and we've realized how flat it falls because people also have right. all their experiences of what that might look like to them. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what people are going to need, and we're there's so much to talk about, but we're on the reconstruction end. It's experiences. And this is, I, I mentioned the work of memory reconsolidation in my book, and uh, not to get too nerdy, but the point is, is that we have to have experiences that change our experiences. Mm. And, and, you know, it's human beings and information coming from humans that have hurt us so deeply, but it's going to take, and I'm big on attachment theory, so it's going to take experiences with humans where you don't just you know, someone tells you about the love of God, but you're shown the love of God right. uh, repeatedly. Or 
if you want to use the work of memory reconsolidation to work with trauma, for example, let's say you, you can't get rid of this angry, violent, punitive God. And it's, it's there. It's, it's, you get triggered intellectually. You're kind of believing. So another kind of tool or, or technique to use is the principles from memory reconsolidation. And that's basically saying that you can take the image of the violent punitive God and feel what that feels like. Then all of a sudden you can feel palpitations. You can feel anxiety. Part of you might want to run away. Mm. Um, and maybe you can even think about what that God looks like. So have that experience. Then you juxtapose that with a different um, positive image of God, right? If this is how you choose. Or you can use a, a, you know, a positive image of this is how the brain works, even a, a grandmother. Or you can make up your own God, which is really weird. But the point is, is you can then feel into that experience of the love, of the connection, of the feeling safe, of that goodness quality, of the tend and befriend mm. system activated. And then you go back to the original memory of that violent punitive God. And actually juxtaposing that is how we get into the nuances of memory reconsolidation. Right. Then, because we were doing that, it unlocks the memory and the emotional valiance of this punitive God, which is that negative emotional baggage. Then there's about a four to five hour window where that kind of memory can be changed, and then right. it becomes consolidated again. And so it's sort of um, juxtaposing that, it can actually change the memory. And then you can lose some of that negative emotion. Now, it sounds easier than it's. Uh, no, I mean, it. that doesn't sound easy to me at all. <laughs> I'm, yeah, not very, yeah. I'm not very good at these I, I'm not trying not to get too technical here. But <laughs> yeah, but it does sound good on paper cool. for sure, like, like you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So absolutely, absolutely. Is this the theory? Um, so I'm not very familiar with, with attachment theory and these kind of elements. Um, but I read a book, um, The Body Keeps a Score which was about trauma. Yeah. I, I don't know if you have Bessel good or bad things Clark. to say about that. Yes, uh, absolutely. Standard. Yeah. Uh, and, and his, and that sounds, what you were saying there sounds like a lot of what he's talking about there, where this whole kind of concept of like, you know, um, uh, neurons that fire together, you know, that whole kind what? of concept. That neurons that fire together, together, wire together. Wire together. Is, is yeah, that yeah. kind of what we're talking about where we're kind of going, okay, when I think of the father, I feel this dread and fear and scariness, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. can I somehow, think of the father and, and think this thing up here, a totally different, mm -hmm. a piece mm -hmm. of calm or whatever, and actually yeah. just program reprogramming. Is, is that kind of what we're talking about? We're just kind of basically trying to rewire yes. how our default responses. In, um, in a simple way. Absolutely. Okay. In, in, in th therapy terms, you know, one can call it corrective emotional experience, right? You're, you're having these new experiences and it's not just a head thing. You got to feel into these things. But activating the tend and befriend system, because we'll have a caregiving system, mm. like we have a threat system. But if there was a baby and the baby was crying, oh, want to protect, want to care for, we have a caregiving system. And, and that releases oxytocin as well. So we have that nurturing system. So to put it in a simple way, I think it was Tim Desmond who said, distressing memory plus the caregiving system equals a new experience. 
So if we, like you're saying, we can, we can play with our neurons, neuronal connections, and we can have new fire, uh, you know, firings and wirings and change our lived experience. And there's different ways that you can do that. I wonder, I wonder if there's something subconsciously going on there where I'm always fascinated by people that do let go of their spirituality, which actually uh, data is showing like the, the data I've found as I've studied, this is about 75 to 80% of people that, that end up moving out of uh, church being de-churched or maybe even um, moving into deconstruction um, 75 to 80% of them still hold on to a spirituality, only about 20% let go of that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But what's interesting is I love, and, and I, and I include those people that do leave it because I think they're important equally. Um, but the people that do leave it, I, I often work with these people still. And I'm like, you've, you've decided to walk away. You're completely, maybe you're slightly agnostic, but some of you are completely atheist. And yet you're trying to reframe, how could we read the old Testament so that God is good and he didn't condone genocide. And I'm going, what what's happening here? And I wonder on some level if people are trying to do that. They're trying to reframe and grapple with this God, even if they don't want to believe in this God, they're like, can I at least reframe it? I, I'm fascinated why people want to explore that and, and, and are trying to do that when they go, I don't believe in this God anymore, but I just want to, is there a different way to look at it? Yeah, um, it I don't know if that's maybe self-doubting or whether you actually, if you're just not honestly uh, a bit more honest with yourself and maybe you're a bit more agnostic than you think or, um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting yeah. dynamic because it does seem to happen a lot for a lot of people that walk away. They're still, well, kind of interested in this a little bit, isn't um, it? But have you found you think, that as well? I do. I mean, it's like uh, you know, it's like you breaking up with somebody. Oh, I'm over them, and you're checking their profile <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, you're still stalking you know, on like, Facebook, <laughs> right? Oh no, you don't care about them at all, right? You're you're done with that. Um, so I think there's an element there where they're not done, yeah. right? Um, and some, maybe it's like an intellectual pursuit. Some people have, you know, they, they go in that direction of, you know, it's, it's wanting to find answers to get other people out of the, what they consider toxic religion. But then there's others who say, yeah, I don't believe that anymore, but they're not fully done. They're not, Mm -hmm. they're still have a little bit of heart left for their lover that they don't want to fully let go. They're still in a relationship with, the person that they believe they're not in a relationship with. Yeah. And it's a very interesting, it's a, and that also reminds me of the symbiotic relationship that, that atheists have with Christianity or, or, or liberal, you know, people who became liberal, who they're always, you know, looking and talking about fundamentalist Christians and they can't let go. It's just no. this, and they're like, Oh, I'm done with that. But then you you have you're all about like talking to these people and trying to get them prove that they're wrong and it's just this, this weird symbiotic relationship, right? Yeah, I, I noticed you um, you avoided the the concept of kind of like stages of development and moved into kind of an idea of stations, which I really liked. Um, yeah, I wonder if um, would you have thoughts on certain um, psychological human development stages and and do do you still hold to well, of course there are some stages that we all kind of move through as we grow and develop but you just didn't yeah. want to apply that explicitly to this process. Um, yeah, because I yeah. do wonder if that's what this is, generally speaking, is is it's people move from one stage into a new stage. We always demonize the stage we come from. That's, that's usually the early parts of the next stage is 
hating what you just were and, and yeah. a lot of it's guilt a lot of it's feeling shame about how could you be so stupid or you're angry at the people because you feel they deceived you failing to realize that you weren't deceived and they're not deceived they're just in this stage um, do, yeah. do you hold to some of those kind of concepts of, of there being kind of more linear kind of paths I, development? right in my book i i fought it phil to be honest i love this, the station so it's a beautiful analogy yeah we i talk just about that as well but it's it's just my something in me rebels against being boxed in. Mm. Um, I don't like stage work, although I mean there's validity to it, but it just goes back to my notion that we're so darn complex that even my alluding to stations, I acknowledge that we could be at different stations that yeah, I don't even I time. can't even name. And so when I say, well, here are the six stages of faith development. It's just, gosh, you know, people are in their 5.5, you know, or 4.3. Yeah. But I'm, I'm excluding them and I'm trying to force them into yeah. this particular mode in, in a stage. Yeah. So I, I just, part of me, I just never, I can't do it. And even and, in parts, right? So like in my uh, way I read the Bible, you know, I'm stage five, but actually in how I relate to God, I'm still stage three. And you know, right? I mean, that's yeah. just so complex, even when we start yes. limiting, because we, we are very diverse in the way that we frame our spirituality yeah. in it, and it is in lots of areas. So I keep going. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. And, and um, then a lot of the stage work, you know, it has the hierarchy almost, uh, you know, it's probably implicit, but this last stage of kind of union with God mm -hmm. or something. And I'm like, that's not fair. It's not fair to people who say, I'm not going that direction, but I feel like I have evolved. I, I consider myself, uh, you know, I'm not silly enough to say I'm an atheist because that would require to have all the data and information in the world. I could say I'm agnostic, but I have found peace with not being in the Christian religion. And so a lot of stage uh, development work doesn't talk about that. And I, yeah. I don't want to exclude that and say that, well, they've devolved in some way, you know? Mm -hmm. So that, that's part of my reasoning of sticking with kind of stations rather than stages where people. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And, and that definitely is a dynamic. I, I found that an especial limitation with Fowler's work. Uh, I really liked mm -hmm. it and I thought it was really helpful uh, yeah. for sure. And very insightful and, and probably very true, oh, yeah. much to my chagrin, um, but very limited and very boxed in, in, in a lot of ways um, for sure. Right. So, uh, it's always trying to balance that. I did a whole series on my uh, website on Spiral Dynamics uh, is the model wow. I kind of chose to kind of expound on just to kind of help people see that we all grow in different ways. And this is a common way that people move along, but helping people realize that you can be at multiple stages within that at different times. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're, we're so complex. But, um, but I do think a lot of the time that does feel like what, part of what's going on you know if you if you look at a model something like that you you've got a very traditional grouping of people that are looking for safety certainty security and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that that sums up most of conventional christianity in the west perfectly in fact probably beyond the west as well um it, we're looking yeah. for safety certainty security and honestly if you don't if you don't have a problem with that and you are connecting with that that's good i don't see a, a need for you to evolve to the highest level and get to the top or that's not how i see it at all um, but so I think it's fine. But I do think when you step out of that and move into kind of more of a, a modern, 
position where you're looking for rationality and logic and you know you don't mm-hmm. care about what who, what's the authority the authority is me and how i can rationalize truth and, and right, you do, right. start to demonize the the prior stages but what do the prior stages do they demonize you how dare you question our authority and say that we're certain and but we're maybe wrong and um, yeah, and I think yeah. there is an element of just part of growing up. You know, you look at a teenager, they don't want to hang out with their seven-year-old brother. I don't want to hang mm-hmm. out with them, you know, like oh, they're stupid, you know, um, yeah, or, yeah. you know, I think it's just a very natural kind of part of growing up, not in the sense that a teenager is better than a seven-year-old. Right, right. right. Seven-year-old is a seven-year-old, a teenager is a teenager. Um, yeah. You can use that language. You'd probably say a teenager is better at maths than a seven-year-old, hopefully. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but, but it's not a better person. Um, That's right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm intrigued by it. But I thought your your choice for using stages uh, stations was really um, very insightful, very very um, very interesting to look at that. Um, I, I don't know. Could you maybe talk about that a little bit more in how you see people growing and developing in their faith through the kind of concept of of having stations in life? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So I, you know, I, I chose stations because this is where people can hang out for a bit. And you're right to say like station one is, and I think I called it home, right? It's, it's just where people feel certainty. And although even with that though, I think I mentioned this in the book, there's a group of people who, because of trauma, because of what we might call insecure attachment, that it actually never felt like true home, mm. right? So their home but, you know, they're listening to the sermon and, well, maybe that's for him. Maybe that's for them. You're never feeling fully in the in crowd, you know. So even with that, there's complexity, right? I, I hate to box people in. Yeah. I just, that's just my heart, right? I just, I see boxing people in as part of this, you know, uh, um, sometimes the, the oppressing of, of human beings. Yeah boxing labels. But I think, you know, that, that station of home is, that makes a lot of sense. And then something happens and there's, there's splinters in the mind, right? These, you start questioning something, but then you, you push it down. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so there's all these different kind of, so sometimes you can push it down and then you go back home. Sometimes you push it down and it keeps popping up. And one of the stations I call, I think, is Splinterville, where it's just, I can't ignore it anymore, right? Yeah. It's something is happening. Now I'm questioning who God is. Now I'm questioning are people who are gay, are they going to hell? Um, the Bible is that, is every word, every jot and tittle that, you know what, I'm, this is too anxiety provoking. Mm-hmm. And John was doing the same thing. Jeez, look what happened to John. Freaking, he left the church. They were rejecting him. He, you know, called him a heretic. I'm going back home, yeah. right? Or I can't. It's just this is happening to me. And I'm. then I make a choice at some point to move on to explore or to just be in the disorientation station where yeah. things are just my whole inner, outer, everything is chaos. It's disorientation. I feel like I'm walking on a waterbed. And that's, man, what a place to be. Um, yeah, seriously. Do you think many people manage to go back from that? Like, that's something I'm fascinated by because I've, I, I, 
I often use like this, this common analogy in this scenario, but the, the concept of taking the red pill in the matrix, you know, once you, take yeah. it, you realize, oh, it's the matrix, you, you want to go back, you want to be in the matrix, but you go back and you're like, none of this is real. It doesn't feel right. And, and that is very true for, mm-hmm. I would say, a huge percentage of people that go through this. But I'm yeah. always fascinated by the few that, that, that take the red pill and then go, yeah, I'm going to go back. And I don't know, I don't know if it's just my, I'm not very good at empathy. I'm not very good at imagining what someone else is going on in their heads and how they, I'm like, huh, how did that happen? Do you think that's something that people can do easily? Or do you think they're living now very uncomfortable at home? Or or what what do you think is going on with that kind of dynamic? You're right. I mean, it's, there's a, there's a picture of like a beautiful woman and a witch and like how you see it, you can either see the witch or the beautiful woman, mm. right? Those kind of uh, images. Optical kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But once you see both, you can't go back. Mm. So I think you're right. I think for the most part, people, it's really hard to go back. But I think there are some, and as human beings, we're great at compartmentalizing. And we can put things in boxes. And I think some people just have a lot of cognitive dissonance, use defense mechanisms to just not go there and live in the box. And for various reasons, Uh, maybe, you know, it would crush their spouse. It would be the demise of the relationship or they're a pastor and they're in a church and, you know, maybe they could do it for another 10 years and then, you know, they they go back to being disoriented and and to a different station and, but no, it's, right. it's hard to do, it's but just... some people can do it. Yeah. I mean, we all have defense mechanisms, right? We all use them to not deal with reality. That's the whole yeah. notion of what a defense is. And some people can do it better than others. Yeah. Well, power to them as well. I, I, I have noticed that, I guess, now, if, if I think about it, the, the reasons that people have are powerful reasons. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. uh, I was part of this community for 35 years and everyone I've ever known is in this bubble. I'm going to stop asking these questions, stop reading these books. And I'm just going to keep these relationships. It's much more important to me. I'm like, wow. Yeah. That sounds like a great life choice. You know, um, yeah, you've only got yeah, another yeah. 20 years of life left. I mean, like, yeah, like why not? Um, I, I can't yeah. do that. Uh, and I'm not yeah. saying that you should or shouldn't. And I, but I do know a lot of us look at that and go, Oh, I would have liked to be able to go back in the matrix, you know? Yeah. In the matrix, guy, is the guy, he does go back, doesn't he? He's eating steak. He likes he's like, steak. I know it's not real, but my God, it tastes good. And I'm like, I want to eat the fake steak. That's, I, I love that steak. I really love yeah, that steak. Yeah, um, yeah. But it doesn't taste like steak anymore to me. Um, they can't. Some of us, we're, we're yeah. so, we're, we're sensitive. Uh, there, and this is, goes into some research. And one of the, was like Bale's field study, like looking at German and United States, um, deconverts okay and and looking at the sort of the profile and like we're more you know lean a little bit more towards right brain and passionate and sensitive and creative and you know we we're looking want to be expansive and like no i don't want to hate you because you're of a different religion can we both hold what we hold but still connect and love one another and so some of us, we just can't, we can't go back to the way things are. It, yeah. it would literally crush our hearts. We would go into a major depression. Uh, it wouldn't be good for our souls. Other people for really good reasons can do it much yeah. longer. 
than we can. And maybe some people go to their graves. I mean, listen, I work with sometimes, you know, 80, 90 year olds who, you know, they, they are finally able to come to some truths that they always knew, but couldn't allow themselves to real feel, really yeah. feel and acknowledge. Right. It's yeah. just, we're, we're good at using defenses to avoid reality. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. You were in Splinterville. Uh, do you want to kind of oh, uh, elaborate a bit long, further along the, the, the journey of, of what you've observed? Yeah. Um, so Splinterville, then the phase of disorientation. Some people go, go home. You know, it's interesting. There are a few people who, even after some level of disorientation, they go back to, and this is kind of what we're talking about, and they're even more Calvinistic than they were. Mm. It's like for some, it's it's they question some things, but then they've got some apologetic fodder to even be more more sure of what they 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 firmly believe. It's yeah. interesting. So some people go home, some people don't. Yeah. And then another station I talked about is some people say, this just isn't for me. Um they, they go to, you know, live in the world. Some are spiritual. Um, like there was one person that I, I talked to, who wrote a book, I think it was Deconversions. And then, um, yeah, this guy who was like so intellectual and smart and in a Christian community and asking these really bright questions. And then somebody, you know, said, we need to like cast the spirit of intellectualism out of you. And he wound up leaving the faith. Mm. But he wound up getting to the point where it, it didn't, he didn't have the triggers that yeah. caused him to what he called sort of grow up in the world. Like I realized that this was just almost like in a Freudian sense of the baby bottle. Like it, it kept me from growing up to being a human being with self-confidence and knowing who I am and knowing what I want. Mm. And so this kind of disorientation phase moved into a place of, incredible growth as a human being. And then he, you know, in his story was able to go to a church one day and just, well, I can appreciate this. I don't believe it. I'm not triggered by it. This is what this group of people is doing with the reality that they believe in. It's just not for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's another station of the, the angstville and that w that's where people can get stuck in the angst and the anger and the skepticism and the, cynical uh, and you know there's research on you know the attitude of cynicism actually contributing to an increase of stress hormones glucocorticoids mm. affecting our you know overall well-being or physical health but I feel some so people, attacked right now yeah, uh, <laughs> right right but some people stay there uh, some people stay angry um, listen I was in angstville I remember, yeah. man, I was laying out some F-bombs in church and I was trying to rile people up and I was the <laughs> rebel and, you know, like, who, what happened to you? And, you know, what demons do you have? And I was pissed off, man. The church mm -hmm. was freaking hurting me. Yeah. The doctrines were hurting me. It was, anger was warranted. But, yeah. you know, there comes a point where sometimes staying too long in Inksville is, is not only bad for the people you're around, but also for yourself. Yeah, you know? absolutely. 
And what's interesting, I, I think you mentioned Spook. My, you have to forgive me. My, I read this book a week ago. My brain is just like, oh, we've read that. We've kept the bits of facts that we'll pull out yeah. at random at some point, but we've got absolutely everything else. Um, no, but no, if I, I remember you rightly, you, you talked about um, this stage, because I think this is an important stage, but um, one of my observations is I've, I've, I've never found someone that wants to be there. Uh, maybe that's mm -hmm. not true. Maybe I found a few people that are, are well and truly loving being there and, and kind of kicking up a, a storm or, or whatever. But um, and, and the cynicism side of it, I, I don't know how. I think this, there can be healthy cynicism, and, and that's maybe more uh, what I identify with than the, the anger and the rage. I've definitely had yeah, that yeah. season, but that that was mm -hmm. hopefully that's been and gone mostly. I don't plan on going back to that station. It's not not good for me. Um, right, right. But, uh, it's fun though. Uh, <laughs> I'm an anarchist, so it's fun. Um, right, but, right, right. Um, but on the whole, in my experience, I, I get a lot of people, dozens of people every month coming to me going, I don't want to be so angry, so hurt, so mm -hmm. upset. And mm -hmm. a lot of people are saying, oh, you're just offended or you're just hurt. And, and, and I feel that's very unfair. It's writing me off or it's discrediting mm -hmm. where, what I feel. But there's a truth to it that I do feel like that, and I don't want to be that person. Um, have you come across this kind of dynamic that's at play where people are going, I, I am angry and I am hurt, and I don't know how to get out of this. Uh, I see yeah, people yeah. that get trapped in this place, that live in this station for years, quite literally, mm -hmm. but yes, don't want to yes. be in that station. They're, they're self-aware right. to see that they're there and that they don't want to be there, but they don't know how to yeah, yeah. leave the station. You know, How do you uh, buy so your ticket? Out of Excel. <laughs> I know, I know. Someone tell me the way. I would do it already. There, so there. I think there are a couple of groups, but one definitely, you know, we've heard victim mentality before. There are some people who, you know, I've played the victim in my life at times. It feels good to be the one who was hurt. There's a really, a, a paradoxically, a sense of power there. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a feel of feeling of strength to you know, feel the, get the, play the victim and then maybe get some, you know, extra doses of, of uh, care and comfort in, in that state, you know, but not everyone wants to be the victim. And there are people who genuinely, I don't know how to get out of this. Mm. And listen, that's, that's people who come to therapy in general. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. know. How do, how do I do deal with this depression, this anxiety, this OCD, this, my relationship, i I hate my partner. How did the hell do I get out of this? But it's it's there's a dialectic here in that there needs to be a full acceptance of where people are. You know, someone who's angry, typically underneath that is just a whole lot of hurt. Mm. A lot of times anger is a secondary emotion covering up a lot of pain. Yeah. And one of the ways, so how how do we get how do we get through our pain? And there again lies into the compassionate gaze of the other person, right? Mm. There's a difference in talking about your anger than talking about, I feel my whole world is turned upside down. I'm scared. Mm. I, I lost God and I'm, I'm, I lost so many friends and I feel so much pain. And then to have a witness, to have somebody to enter into that, not we need to validate the anger. That makes sense. But can you talk about the, the fear and the hurt and the sadness and the shame? And, and then when people can enter into that with you, there's usually a beautiful movement towards 
healing and acceptance, and then the ability to forgive and then the ability to move on. But a lot of people don't, you know, it's not something, how do you do that, right? Yeah. Then you have the whole gender thing, which isn't always the case. Sometimes men are more aware of their emotions than women. But for a large part, then you have the whole, you know, I don't know how to talk about my emotional experiences. Yeah. I, I, all I know is anger. Shame? Like sadness? <laughs> what the hell is yeah. that? I, don't, I can't even. Yeah. But that's a part of it is being able to talk about that, process that with mm-hmm. some um, people in your holy huddle, as I, I call them unholy huddle. Uh, so that's a part of it, right? You, we have to l- allow others. It was people that hurt us. And paradoxically, it's people that are going to bring the most powerful antidote to some of the emotions yeah. that we're carrying around. Right? Mm. That sounds like almost goes back to that initial uh, thing we were talking about with the kind of like the uh, linking memories, linking associations, people hurt me, people heal me. You know, just yeah, re- right. reintegrate. Right. Actually, people are not the problem. People are actually the solution for me, right, as well. People are yeah. not the people that, that's not just my path of trauma, but it can be my path of liberation and re- restoration. Yeah. Um, that's quite beautiful. Yeah. 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 And then in anger, you know, it's not all bad. It's there's, use the fuel of anger in your life, not to poison yourself, mm. but to use it towards liberation for yourself and others. Like yeah. use that energy. Right. But if it just stays in here, listen, you're not typically hurting the person who you keep having these negative thoughts about. Right. Or the church, this or the church that they're going to sleep fine. Yeah. It's 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 causing you deep pain. It's causing you more stress. Liberate yourself from that. Use that to get other people out of the matrix. Right. Free people, free people. Absolutely. It's really interesting to me. I, I see a lot of people that are in this place of being deeply hurt. And, and I, I, I I don't think about this as much as I should probably, given what I do day in day out. But, you know, when, when I do talk with people that are deeply angry, deeply caught up in, in a very deep angst, um, you can. You can see a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. And I always try and ask, like, why are, Why do you think you're angry? What, 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 what's, what's going on? You know, can you talk to me about yeah. what, what caused this? What, what, talk to me about your experience. And just try and open up to, to explore that a bit. But a lot of these people fascinate me. Uh, again, I'm just fascinated by human nature. I don't know why I would right. be in another life. I would not be what I'm doing right now. I'd just be studying people nonstop <laughs> under a magnifying glass. Um <laughs> People would just be in MRIs constantly with me watching and asking questions. Um, but I, I, I'm fascinated because so many of them keep going back. Um, uh, this 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 thing of going home, but not I, actually. I don't want to presume why. I don't I don't I don't want to presume why because I don't know why. But what I do see is I talk to the same people sometimes once a week. It's usually uh-huh. on a Monday, and it's a uh, I went straight back. And yeah. we have the same conversation of like, that's not healthy for me right now. It's just pain. It's just suffering. I'm mm-hmm. maybe sometimes it's a, they just deeply need that acceptance from this group, but they're not going to get mm-hmm. it. And we get to the point and they go, I know I'm never going to get accepted by it. I know they're not in that place. And then ding, you got a notification from them Monday morning and you're like, Oh, yeah. I wonder what they got up to yesterday. And, and what's going on in, in that? What is it Stockholm just a syndrome. need? Right. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Right. <laughs> but, I, but these people yeah. that I'm, I'm talking with, they, they can acknowledge this. And I'm like, you realize, dude, you're, you're yeah, going a bit yeah. insane here. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're just repeating this path 
but they don't know that they, 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 and they'll hop churches. They'll try. They just keep going back in the hope that something new happens. Um, Is it that, that this is, that they're identifying with their, their victimizing, uh, victimizing? Yeah. yeah, I mean, in a more, you know, compassionate way of seeing it, you know, it's, it's like somebody who can't leave their abusive partner. Right. And that, that's the analogy to, I use a lot of times. It, it feels like yeah. an abusive person going back to a domestic abuse case or, or something like that. You know, it's it's, yeah. really, it's horrible yeah. to watch. You know, I, I've dealt with people yeah. that are going through that as well. And it's horrible. Yeah, it's yeah. it's hard to let go of the good that you know to receive a greater good that you don't know. Mm. And it's 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 scary. It's scary to leave the tribe that you knew. The the security that you get is so incredible. I mean, it gets into our evolutionary tribal mind. Like if we leave the tribe, we will suffer our demise. We will die in some way. It's so ingrained in us. That's why rejection is, is so powerful. It's, it's so powerful to even keep us in the group, to keep us conformed, right? To believe these things, even if we might not, because stepping outside into the unknown, into the abyss of the beautiful chaos of life is, can be so overwhelming for some people. And that fear um, and that lack of confidence, remember, and, and I see this over and over again, one of the toxic things of religion is robbing people of developing a sense of self. Mm. that yourself is wrapped up in a belief, an idea, or the pastor, or this person, or this group. And they're, they're not encouraged to think for themselves. Yeah, They're encouraged to split off who they are, split off their desires. Oh, that's too creative. You, th- th- that's not okay, right? That's like me when I was in the Pentecostal church. You have to look a certain way, mm-hmm. no facial hair, don't listen to this music. I was told not to hang out with people who believed in the Trinity. It was a very boxed in, this is who we are. And it was scary to try Mm -hmm. something else. So a lack of confidence in the self, uh, in a feeling of I will be obliterated into the unknown. God, it's huge. It makes so much sense why people would stick with the good that they know. God, so much compassion. It, It makes so much sense. It yeah. feels like it's a systemic element of, of religion. Maybe maybe bring it to what I know, Christianity. I don't want to say all religion uh, as a whole, because I know that certain religions work very differently. Um, but it does feel like it's quite systemic in that if I think about how I grew up in the church, the church framed everything. You know, first and foremost, my identity, who I was, was I was a Christian, a son of God. I was a church member. I was a deacon. I was a youth leader. I was a pastor. I was an itinerant minister. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it was, my, my whole uh, identity, you know, that feels like more and more of a bubble, the, the higher up the echelon you end up getting stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, I look, I, I work with a lot of pastors that are deconstructing and I'll tell you what, that's not fun. It's just not no. a good place to be. Um, yeah. You know, I, I was in the church bubble when I deconstructed and it was, it was tough, but to be yeah. a pastor yeah. with a community and you've, you've gone out of high school into seminary, you've gone straight into a church, you've no transferable skills. Uh, of course right. you have lots of skills as a pastor, but uh, you know, it's not yeah, directly yeah, yeah, yeah. Tra- most, most mm-hmm. people, 
looking at your CV are going, or your resume, sorry, are going, <laughs> yeah, sorry, bud, we're not letting you right, be the right. CEO of this, you know, regional bank or, exactly. um, mm-hmm. um, and, and you go through this and you realize, gosh, who the heck am I? If I'm not a pastor, if I'm not, uh, you know, my, who are my family going to think I am? If I'm not this godly father and godly husband, if I'm not, uh, where are my friends? If I'm not a friend to my only bubble is the people I meet day and you know, systemically yeah, yeah. we, we, we fill people's time with church, right? It's, you've got Sunday morning, Sunday evening, you've got youth on wet Friday, you've got prayer group on Monday, you've got home group on Wednesday, you know, like make, make, mm-hmm. fill, fill, fill. Or if you can invite a couple of people around for dinner one night and your two nights, you have a week that isn't already filled with church, bring someone from church around and, you know, and you realize I don't yeah. actually have friends with the people I work with. I'm not, got friends outside of church and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it just kind of it traps you you know this is yes. kind of how cults work you know and, and i've often mm-hmm. been amazed by the kind of the overlap with cults and churches um in that mm-hmm. there's a there's a, a list of things that you have to tick to be a cult um but you have to tick sure. them all if you tick five out of eight well you're <laughs> not a cult you're just you know a weird group um right, right, right. you have to tick them all and what's fascinating to me is i can go through most churches that i've been a part of and go gosh mm-hmm. you can tick three or four at least um, right right and so mm-hmm. it does feel like we've got these systems in place with how christianity works um that are just setting us up for failure on some level do, do, do you yeah. understand what i'm saying in that no i do yeah it's it's um it's one of the biggest things that people have to do to reconstruct is it's weird to say, but you have to kill all the gods in your life. There's something that needs to be done. There has to be a funeral for the authoritarian others in your life so that you can actually find the life that I would suggest God has for you to live. Mm. There's, I mean, and that's a part of really what I would call just growing up. But the church, some churches don't allow people to grow up. Yeah. Right. They just want people to be infantile. Let's, let's have infantile messages. Let's, you know, here are the boxes and you, but people aren't allowed to grow up. And then they kind of force them to stay because now, I have, I don't have the tools. It's like you would place me in another foreign territory where I don't even speak the language. I'd be scared to death. I want to know what to do, where to go, who to talk to, or do I stay with the good that I know? Mm. Like, so you create a system where I need you. I need your, I need the baby bottle. I need it yeah. to survive, but that's the illusion. That's what I think, but it's this, that's the pill. That's the poison. That's what they pump into your, your veins. But that is the demise of authentic humanity. Um, that is the demise of the beautiful, unique you, the beautiful, unique me that I am. So in reconstruction, one of the tasks is to create a funeral for God. That this kind of God will, I have to put this God in a box or this, this pastor, or this internalized other, just inner critic that I have that was always telling me what to do or how to do it. I have to bury these, mm-hmm. and I have to be me, who God created me to be. Yeah. And I have to learn to walk on my two feet in this world. And as scary as it is, my God, it is the most. Mm-hmm. Listen, 
what is it, Bronnie Ware, the, the palliative nurse, worked with all kinds of people who were dying. She wrote a book. But one of the top five regrets that she saw, and she wrote about this in her book, is the people said, I, I wish I was who I really was. I wish mm-hmm. I didn't have to hide, right? I, I wish I could just be myself. And I wish I basically chose to be congruent. That's one of the top five regrets that people have in life. It's crazy. It's, it's scary, yeah. but man, it, it's so worth it to be who you are, uh, yeah. to be congruent. You're weird, quirky, creative, wild, passionate lover that you are with all kinds of weird beliefs yeah. and different parts of who you are and your parts of doubt God and love God and wounded but yet healed parts and fundamental parts and progressive parts. We're all a hot mess inside. Yeah. You know, let's let's embrace our inner family. Yeah. No, that's that's beautiful. I mean, that's my journey coming out of uh, you know, I, I was traveling and speaking charismatic conferences and churches all over the world and doing that thing, you know, and giving people yeah. the certainty. But but for about five years of that, I didn't believe any of it. Uh, didn't believe a lot of it. I didn't enjoy church. I didn't really believe in yeah, the system yeah. that I was uh, a part of, you know, the, the whole whole deal. But there was this dynamic of I wanted to be a bridge. I kind of wanted to be there and I could I could preach something that I authentically believed that wouldn't break everything for everyone else, but was uh-huh. enough that it would find the right people and would move them and would bring mm-hmm. them forward. And maybe mm-hmm. it was a step in the right direction for people that were still yeah. quite rigid in the system. And, and I really believe there's an importance to people that are in those roles. Um, I think mm-hmm. someone like Richard Rohr is a great example of someone that lives on the edge and brings people across the bridge. Um, mm-hmm. Probably less so in the last few years. He started to go, I don't care. I'm about to die in the next four or five years. He keeps talking about how he's going to die every time. So he's like, "Ah, who cares? Let's just do it. And he's he's been a lot more (laughs) wild. Exactly. Yeah. But the universe of Christ. Um, But but I have to say, it, it, it just kept. I didn't realize how heavy a burden that was. I really didn't realize until I, mm. I, I came to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm going to just, I've, I feel like I've gone as far as I can in bringing people that I had with me across. And I mm. feel like the, the people that are left are not coming. They're not interested. They don't want to. And I've got all these people that I've brought across the bridge that are going, well, what now? I was like, I just got to right. go and enjoy myself. And the weight, I, I just cannot just uh, I felt like weeping when I first kind of just I felt like coming out in a sense or what I imagined Mm -hmm, coming out mm -hmm. to be of going hey by the way I'm not that person you think I am oh Mm -hmm. my gosh like that level of not being authentic not being yourself not being free to say what you think Um, Mm -hmm. and of Mm -hmm. course that then burns the bridge down right there's not much of a bridge left for me at all um, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I've, I've come to the place where that's okay there's other people functioning as bridges for different people in different places um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there is something profound. I think for me, that's the biggest reason I can't go back into the matrix. I can't. I can't. Can't put a mask back on for people to love. It's that concept of if you wear a mask for people to love you, they don't love you. They love your mask. Exactly. You know, you that's go right. and take that's your right. mask off, and it's shining with love, and you feel utterly empty. Um, yeah, yeah. And I feel. I feel for. So people. One of the groups of people that I feel for, and, and I'd love for your input because this is your this is your wheelhouse is. People that have to put that mask on every single week, right? And they are in the station of being at home uh, for the sake of their loved ones, their family, Mm -hmm. their kids, their wives, their husbands. Um, 
but they're not there. You know, intellectually, they are off. They're yeah, off yeah. in another station. They're deconstructing, de- you know, all these kind of concepts over there. They're like, going, ah, you know, penal substitution, hell, screw these right, crazy right, right. concepts. Mm-hmm. But then every single week, they pop their mask on. They go to church. They do their thing. That must be really painful. But it's one day a week. It's two days a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the dynamic of living in that relationship where some people that are in that can be open with their spouse, but even that a lot of the people I work with, I work with people that are deconstructing and trying to connect with their spouse, but I also work mm-hmm. with people that aren't deconstructing going, I've come across you. How the hell do I understand my, how do I do this? And right, I've never right. come across couples that don't want to work it out. Don't want to, you know, they, they, they still love their partner, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I have seen a lot fizzle out a lot of relationships end. you know, in the hundreds of people that I've talked to that are going through that dynamic, yeah, a yeah. lot don't make it. They, they don't. Um, I'm very quick mm-hmm. to go. I'm not an expert. You know, right, right, I'm right, right, chat right. with you, but I'm, I'm, I am no advice really. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and a lot do make it. Of course, uh, you know, a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Love is powerful, right? I mean, it's beautiful. And, and go to marriage therapy, do your thing. I mean, sure, people. Are yeah, see yeah, you. yeah. Um, how do you work with people that are going through this? Uh, mm-hmm, I'm sure mm-hmm. you see this dynamic of people that are on different spiritual paths. Yeah, that's right. They've made the choice to be tied together. We're stuck with each other. And yeah, you're making me scared or you're holding me back or at least kind of feel a bit suffocated having to live that kind of spirituality out for your sake or. Yeah. It's so, man, there's so many couples that there's so many diversity of experiences, right? There's, there's some couples that I work with where they, one partner cannot like they, they can't share their doubts because their partner is so much on the fundamentalist spectrum that they're afraid they could even get abused. Like it's mm. just weird, yeah. you know, but, but it's true. Like, because, you know, while they're fundamentalists there, there are, they can be abusive. And then yeah. they try well, you end up they, looking like your God, right? How will God respond to someone like that? And, you know, and they do tend to, you know, the, the man is the, the head of the wife and the, you know, women should be submissive and, you know, that seems to be certain doctrines and teachings they pretty much like a lot. Yeah. Some, some couples in this, this is a beautiful space where some can, some can talk about their real experiences in a space where it doesn't get fixed, but they hear each other's hearts. And it's this liminal space where the beauty is in connecting in their diversity and even in their pain of diversity in regards to religious beliefs. But it's not in fixing either partner or getting the other partner to believe what the other believes. That is, that is, I guess, the ideal experience that I, I do love to see. Yeah. And, and what's underneath that is a love for each other. There's a respect but there's also the deep pain knowing that that's not who they originally married. Yeah. And, and they, they hold that intention and they hold that with sort of an equanimity and a, and a love and a, and a kindness, but some with tears, you know, yeah. especially for Christians, yeah. right? Because you marry on the premise. I mean, for Christians, I mean, Heck, like above all these other parameters, right? You're funny, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're whatever. 
Um, mm. We've got similar goals in life, whatever. Above all of it, right? It's a, well, you believe in God, right? You believe this about God, right? <laughs> you don't even go into that depth because there's only one yeah. way to believe about God, right? <laughs> right. Um, so that's such a core thing. And so suddenly for yeah. that to be whipped out, this the fundamental, you know, the, mm-hmm. the main thing to just change overnight, which yeah, yeah. obviously didn't change overnight, but it feels like it. it's huge. Sorry, keep going no, with these no, different no. types, but You're it's right. such a huge thing. Yeah, and what's what's the scariest part is the thoughts that come. Well, if you don't believe in God, then you're going to start doing drugs and drink and cheat on me. Mm-hmm. Like the brain just goes yeah, yeah, there, yeah. right? Because that must mean you're you are hanging out with Satan, who's the father of yep. lies, uh, who's causing you to doubt God's word. But you know, there's an interesting place where you know time goes and oh she's still or he's still amazing yeah they're still loving caring respectful they don't necessarily believe in god the way that i do anymore mm. and there is this cool acceptance where that that you can come to and sometimes there's you know time can go by and one partner can get triggered and share you know i feel today i'm just thinking about church and i feel some sadness because we used to go together and, and now you're not. And then the other partner can say, honey, I get that. And I, I being sad makes a lot of sense. And yeah. um, I feel your sadness and I love you and I'm, I'm still with you. And yeah. this is just where I'm at and I, I, can't, I can't help it. And so once again, it's that beautiful experience of vulnerability. Yeah. But then there are couples who just, it's so reactive. Because once again, it brings so much fear. And those yeah. who have narcissistic tendencies, you have to be a carbon copy of me. And for you to doubt, well, that's causing me to doubt. And I'm, I'm freaking out. My anxiety is rising. I don't know how to articulate that and make sense of that. And I even acknowledge that. But I'm going to blame you as sort yeah. of, so you're the shot. problem. This is wrong. You're listening to Satan. And you need help. Get therapy. Mm. And you need yeah. to see a Christian counselor. Yeah. It feels like uh, on some level, it's, it's easier to empathize for, for the person that is going through a little of this kind of deconstruction, whatever language you use, the spiritual kind of new emergence into something new. It's, it, it feels like it's easier for them to empathize what their partner is going through because they were that, right? They could go, gosh, how would I have felt when I was very, when I was in my prior state, when I was a bit more fundamental, a bit more religious, a bit more conservative, whatever language I use mm-hmm. again. Um, I would have freaked out. It's like, oh gosh, I don't want them to freak out. I don't want them to be scared. I don't want them to be. And sometimes they need a bit of handholding to see that, right? Mm-hmm. Because maybe mm-hmm. some people initially are just like, oh, look, Bob, I've realized we're both completely wrong and you're wrong and let's just fix it. And like, they're going, oh, right, right. Um, but, <laughs> but generally speaking with a little bit of help or self-reflection or introspection and go, gosh, that must be really scary for them. It feels like it's yeah. a lot harder um, in my conversations. And I haven't had obviously as many conversations with mm-hmm. people that are partners off mm-hmm. someone deconstructing mm-hmm. just by the nature of what I do. Um, but I have a lot of people that connect with me going, you know, my wife said, can you talk to you or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and, and I'm just going, I, I just can't, you know, it's such a disconnect because they live in such a world of certainty and security and their, their partner mm-hmm. had that. Like they can't, grasp why you would leave this certainty or or why the answers don't work for their partner when they clearly work that like two and two works why do you need it to add why why do you not like four four is a great right 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 Um, yeah yeah how do you think we can 
help people that are in that place. Cause I, I like I said, I don't spend my, nearly as much time with these mm-hmm. groups of people, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people listening to this spend a lot of time with those people, right? Cause they're married to those people or they're, they're, yeah, or they're, yeah, they're yeah. family, parents, kids, whatever. Um, how do you think you go about, cause it's easy to reverse engineer that empathy, right? You can go back to who you were and think, Oh, that's scary. But it's very hard to make someone else kind of forward, <laughs> move into another mindset that they've never had. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously uh, that sounds like something mm-hmm. you do in those kind of relational kind of components. How right, do you right. go about helping them do that? Obviously listening and stuff is huge, I, I know. But- yeah. So we're talking about, right, couples and how to navigate this, this territory, uh, particularly from the, the vantage point, viewpoint of the one who's gone through the DR journey. And I was just noting that sometimes it's important to be assertive and sometimes it's not okay to continue to be barraged with questions uninvited or criticisms or feeling like you're constantly being judged. So being assertive is really important. Now, of course, we we need to be conscious of any kind of domestic violence and, Mm. you know, that needs to be taken into consideration. Assuming this isn't a DV case, being assertive is healthy. But I also think that, you know, there's like I shared a sense of brokenness that invites that level of compassion and empathy for their partner who's they perceive is still kind of in that conservative mode. And that could be really helpful, right? To, think, yeah, I've been there. That makes sense. It's, it's understandable. Um, yeah. So I think having compassionate, being assertive when necessary, and just being acknowledging the grief. Yeah. I mean, acknowledging the sense of loss that you may have, that you love this person and you've been on journey with them. And now you feel a sense of distance because you so want them to join this in what you perceive as a newfound freedom and they're not joining you in that. And that can bring an enormous amount of grief. And that grief is due to a sense of loss. So yeah. being able to be mindful of your own experiences when they come up, being assertive when necessary, uh, being empathic. Listen, I always say to people, if you think you have more truth than the other person, my assumption is that truth is the person in truth is Jesus and Truth is love, and truth is compassion. Truth is healing. And so if you have more truth, then invite that space in how you treat your partner who's on journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to you know, need patience and compassion and surrendering to the presence of the spirit and of love. I'm having a hard time loving my partner right now, right? And, and that's okay. And and sometimes people do leave. They, they find, because what's fascinating is they become so liberated from this religious journey that they become liberated in other ways with their mm-hmm. sexuality, yeah. with their bi- body, with new passions. And they're like, I, I can't, he, he or she's not coming with me. This just can't work. Um, I'm feeling suffocated. Yeah. Um, and at some point they, they may eventually just leave. Yeah. 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 I see that a lot, certainly in um, people having to go, look, if nothing else, we need time. Like you need to figure out your own journey and how you're going to come to terms with me going on my own journey. 
but this isn't going to work under the same house, <laughs> you know, under the same roof for now. Like I've seen that a lot. And actually what's interesting is, is that seems to uh, work out a lot better than sometimes people staying under the roof and just forcing to try and make it work. Um, yeah. And so um, I'm very, very quick to try and go, there is no prescriptive method when you're working with another human being. Yeah. There's no method yeah. of like, if you just tick these boxes, maybe you could come up with a method for yourself. Right, right. Maybe right, <laughs> if you're right, lucky, right, right. but no yeah. way. Um, so and then throw kids in that mix, right? Oh, horrific, and then right? that that's, you know, cause yeah, then you don't, we go, well, we don't want this, this dynamic where we're constantly fighting, but we don't want a dynamic where we're, we're they're not, they don't have a mom or dad around as much. Yeah. And then you've got, well, what are we teaching them? Right? Because if you're still very yeah. fundamental, it's pretty damn important. We're teaching you something fairly fundamental. We don't want our kids to burn in hell, but if you're fairly right. liberated from that, you're going, I don't want my kids with some freaking religious trauma. You know? My so goodness. It's, it's a very cool struggle is real. Trauma. Yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. Mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. what would you say to um, the other side of the equation for, uh, you know, let's say in that dynamic the, that there's a, a, a husband and a wife and one of them is going, mm-hmm. I am not okay with this. I'm struggling to grasp what's going on. Yeah, yeah. How, yeah, do, yeah. how do they, because, but I still want this to work. I want this to work. What can they be doing? How can you communicate to them in that rigid kind of framework? Yeah. I try to be slick things. Yeah. You, you kind of slip to, in under the, under the radar. No, no. I, I try to, I try to appeal to the fundamentalist sensibilities of the priority in paramount nature of the scriptures. Okay. If they get divorced, they'll go to hell. So you need to make this work. <laughs> Never that. No, no, that's not a bad strategy. That's not a bad strategy. Um, yeah. Although Jesus did give an out uh, seemingly in my gospel for adultery, yeah. but, but uh, yeah, but appealing to the, the ethic of Jesus, right. In let's say you consider her the, you know, ungrateful and wicked, right. Mm. Let's look at Matthew five. Let's see what perfect love looks like. Uh, let's see how Jesus calls you to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect who loves uh, the ungrateful and the wicked who sends the the rain and the sunshine right on the righteous and the unrighteous. Let's see what Jesus has called you to do uh, in to, to love and to be faithful to your partner, even though in your mind, she's wayward right now in, yeah. in your mind, she's backslidden. What is the heart of the father towards her right now? Let's imagine that this is the prodigal son or now think of her as the prodigal daughter. What is the image of the father? Can you remind me? Mm. I, I, I forgot. What did the father do in that? Well, he was, oh, he hugged and he ran and he kissed and he was compassionate. Oh, is that what God's calling me to? Wow. So there's ways That's to appeal to the very text that they're to, to deal with someone they perceive as, as. Now, does that last in the long run? It, sure, it when can, you're dealing with those painful things day in, day out. Yeah, take its toll on anyone, of course. Yeah, yeah, but that's one one strategy that I've appealed to. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to someone this week um, who was a husband um, of someone that's deconstructing, and his his wife was talking to me, and I said, "Look, if if your husband wants to have him reach out, I'd love to talk with him or whatever. It might just be nice to have a third party um, that's kind of understands but is safe, you know? Because I don't really." at the end of the day, care about either of you. I do care about you both, but I don't know. You could not exist and it wouldn't 
and my life would not change. Um, uh, and so he did, he reached out and he started following me and, and mm. we talked quite a bit, but actually he, he messaged me the other day and he said, um, you've helped in talking with me. This is the story of my life. I'm, I'm not that helpful generally. <laughs> so you, you, were, I doubt that. you were a bit helpful, but actually yeah, yeah. I found just reading the comments of people that are following you, reading the questions they ask you in the mm. Q and A's you do, um, just seeing them in their passionate pursuit of God, asking really genuine questions. I couldn't see my wife as passionately pursuing God and asking genuine questions. I couldn't mm. see that. It, she was too close. But seeing all these people and realizing she's one of these people, he's like, it just mm. opened my eyes to what's going on. And I don't agree with yeah. it. I'm really struggling with it. And, and yeah, But yeah. It's, it's just open. And, and so I, I was fascinated by that as well. I feel That's like cool. maybe there's a dynamic as well where it's too close to home sometimes. You know, it's too much. You know, if, if, if my wife falls away and is going to hell that's that's close to home right it affects my kids it affects me it affects you right, right, but right. you know if that homeless guy that's four street stand that i pass every thursday on the way to work if he starts falling away ah, i really want him to be saved i don't want him to go to hell but it's not i i can look at that a bit more objectively i can maybe ask him some questions yeah. or you know I, I, i'm not connected to this guy it's just some guy mm-hmm. i walk past you know once a week or something um, yeah, yeah. and i do i wonder I wonder if there's an element where we're too, too, too in it. Uh, if there's, if there's ways we can ex- have people explore something outside of, outside of their relationships as well. To yeah. Yeah. Engage. I, I actually think something like your book, uh, a lot of these books are probably very helpful for, if, if you can get people to read them, it's, it's really hard when you're in that rigid place, I guess. That's yeah. The, yeah. Why, why would I read that? That's for infidels. This is someone that's backslidden. This is another person with a problem writing this, you know, and, yeah, um, but you're talk- right. Uh, yeah. oh, keep going. Sorry. Uh, you know, a prophet's not accepted in their own hometown. Yeah. Right? Sometimes it takes different people, different circumstances to yeah. uh, to cause people to change, right? To open up their, their minds a little bit more, their hearts a little bit more. And some people don't. Yeah. Uh, some people do. And you're, you're potentially pointing to those people who – you know, they, they encountered someone and sometimes it happens when they respect somebody, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. uh, this person, wow, I actually read one of their books and now they're, they're leaning this way or, yeah, you know, I was listening to a podcast and so all different uh, messengers, right? Yeah. Circumstances. Yeah. No, it's been, it's why it's been so good to see certain uh, prominent figures uh, come out and say, Hey, this has been my journey as well. The, the people that you're writing off, you're writing me off as well. Um, yeah. It's been very cool to see certain bigger uh, celebrities, Christian pastors or whatever, you know, know. Like, whatever it I looks know. like. Um, Worship leaders. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, yeah, they're yeah. all doing yeah. it, right? But the, what's interesting is, you know, there's thousands of people a day leaving the American church for these reasons, but it takes, know. you know, oh, I read Joshua Harris's book, you know, so it's a huge deal that he's done it. And I'm like, yeah, it is. I'm sure it's, a, it's everything to Josh, I'm sure. But right, right, what right. it is to me, oh, it's no different than that guy over there, yeah. Steve. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. But it is, it's really helpful. Talk to me about your bookmark. I, I, no. I'm really interested in, I absolutely loved your book. And, and I'm sure people listening to this are going, gosh, I want to read this guy's stuff. Um, one of the things that fascinated me about your book um, is, is you do a fantastic job framing deconstruction and, and what's going on in the world and, and this, the ways that people go through that. Um, but I'd love to talk a bit about how you see reconstruction because 
we talked about this a little earlier on and it's such a touchy um dynamic mm. because this is something i'm very aware of is a lot of people don't want to reconstruct or to talk about reconstruction is too presumptuous how, how dare mm -hmm. you presume i'm going to rebuild this thing called christianity I, i'm tearing it down i don't want you mm -hmm. to presume that that's what i'm going to then rebuild on you know i might i oh, might yeah. i might sell this lot and go off and build something else you know i don't know um I, I think you did a really great job, you know, not being too prescriptive of when you reconstruct yeah. it looks like this. How did you, how did you navigate that? Or, or why do you think it's important not to be too prescriptive in, in those, uh, in that kind yeah. of world? My goodness, this is what got us in this hot mess to begin with. <laughs> us listening to other people, how we should live our lives and view God, faith, ourselves, I refuse when writing this book to be that person. Yeah. Listen, I was in a cult for a few years. I have this very deep sensitivity. I'm sorry. I'm just getting emotional because That's okay. it's um, nobody should be there. Nobody should be forced or coerced or manipulated to live a distant different existence than that which they should be living that that which they're created to live uniquely as who they are with their different personalities and gifts and callings and and i i don't want to be i i'd rather help facilitate people coming to their own conclusions than me giving their conclusions for them and there are times in the book where I say, this is the conclusions, some of them, which I came to. Yeah. But I, and I always preface it with, listen, everyone's, you know, pitching their Jesus. I mean, hey, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. I'm just going to preface it with, this is who Jesus is for me. <clears throat> and I invite you into that story and take in the good and spit out the bad. You know, be congruent, right? And, and I even appeal to the Apostle Paul. You know, his actual, actual quoting Jesus in all of his writings, I think it was like, if you actually do the math, it was like 2 to 3%. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so that tells me that the Apostle Paul took incredible liberties to be who he was in God. And not just directly quote people quoting Jesus, but found the freedom to actually sit in the presence of God and filter this information into his brain, his being, his mm. psyche and spirit, and then say, this is what I think about God, faith, yeah. how it relates to my Jewish tradition. And so he did not quote Jesus a whole lot in all of his writings. Yeah. No. So I, I take that as an encouragement and just that on that vein of, I'm not going to tell you what to believe, how to believe. This is, if this is helpful to you, you know, I wrote this book to be wrestled with in community, hence the, the study questions. Yeah, with the questions. That's why so, I mentioned earlier, I was bringing it up with um, people yesterday. I have a yeah. book club that we get together every two weeks. We've not done it as well over the pandemic. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and they were discussing what book should we do next. And I'm like, guys, I have got a book. And so I think we're going to be uh, working through it as a, yeah. as a group potentially. And so, yeah, I, I hope so. And, and so I'm not asking people to reconstruct their faith. I'm asking people to reconstruct their life. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. That is, for me, that is huge. If that encompasses faith, God, that's, that's really cool. Like I'm, yeah. you know, I'm biased here. Yay. You know, go, go, go God, you know, go Jesus. That's pretty <laughs> cool. But if your path takes you somewhere else, I'm at least helping you reconstruct your inner world, your emotions, how you use your defenses, your your image of God, your image of yourself, of people, of trauma, of grief. Mm. Um, I'm, you know, the last chapter is focused solely on mostly values. Yeah. Like, who are you? Like, here is a list of values. Who do you want to be in the world? Mm. Not your path, who your pastor says you should be. Not who they said God said you should be, but as you're sitting in the presence of love and yourself, who are you in the world? When you die, and and let's say there was, you know, on your gravestone, what would you want to have written on that? So regardless of all the answers to the mysteries of the universe and the divine that you have or don't have, Live life the way that is congruent to who you are. And hopefully I help people to do that in this book. Yeah, I think I think that's beautiful because I think, you know, many people do walk a different path. They go into maybe more Eastern uh, religions and they go into what is often termed the new age, the demonotic, scary mm. new age. Um, new age sewage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, all these different things that we've been taught to be very scared of and, and wary of as Christians. But a lot of people mm. go into agnosticism or atheism. And some people come full circle and go into some new uh, resurrected uh, Jesus driven uh, life, whatever that looks like. Yeah, or um, Eastern Orthodox. Yeah, they absolutely. Say, or they go right. right into something a bit more liturgical and a little bit yeah, more yeah. Um, traditional. Absolutely. And so there's this whole spectrum of people going into something. But I think what I, what I love what you're saying here is, is that that's almost, um, that's almost besides the point as far as what you're trying to help people do is you're not trying to guide what that looks like, but what you're trying to do is go, there's a lot here to reconstruct other than what you believe as far as your faith goes. There was mm -hmm. so much wrapped up in faith that has also needed to be deconstructed. You know, you didn't just deconstruct your faith. You deconstructed mm -hmm. a whole bunch of trauma, a whole bunch of pain, a whole bunch of suffering. You deconstructed your identity. You deconstructed community and friends and family. Like we need to rebuild those things. Uh, you know, we yeah, can all agree yeah. that it's healthy for us to have a, a good uh, ego, mm -hmm. if only to lose it. Um, but, you know, <laughs> let's, let's build something that's yours. Yes. So it, let's have a yeah, family. Yeah. Let's have a community. Let's have people around us that we love and trust and, and value. Um, and so I, I love that, that aspect of, of what you did. I th think you did it amazing. I, I think I said, I, I wrote a little blurb for you, like, but I'm very, very hesitant to recommend um, anything that even mentions reconstruction to my audience, because in my experience, nine times out of 10, I don't know, I'm sure you've read a lot and looked into mm -hmm. that world a lot. In my experience, nine times out of 10, it is someone with a, with, even if they've reconstructed and deconstructed, they've got some form of rigid uh, view now that they want other people to come into. Um, it's not mm -hmm. this um, open-handed, like, hey, let's take you on a journey to rebuild what you need to rebuild, which is what I'm all about. I, I often say, if I make Christians atheists or I make a Christian a Muslim, I'm happy. <laughs> I don't mind as long as their direction is forward. Um, and that's heresy to the nth degree, right? <laughs> Turning Christians into Muslims. Um, I have to say that doesn't happen very often. Right, <laughs> um, right, right. It's right, okay. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but for me, um, 
I thought you you navigated that so well. It's probably the primary reason that I would say I, I so recommend uh, your resources because mm. the other stuff is easy to do in some sense. I don't want to you know, say it was easy to write your book. Right. I couldn't have done it. Right. But, right, but it's, right, right. it's easy to talk about what people are going through and what they're doing. But it's very hard to create an open playing field where, where you give people practical steps to move forward and grow and develop without prescribing mm-hmm. to them what that should look like. That's, that's an extraordinary uh, uh, skill. Yeah. And so I think you've done a really beautiful thing that. there. Um, yeah. And, that, and may I share that that's, that's who I am as a therapist, mm. right? Like as a therapist, I'm not here to tell you what to do and how you should live your life. Um, that would be, uh, well, unethical. <laughs> I mean, right. Well, it's part of your... Some people are very directive and, you know, Tony Robbins-esque, if you will. That's just not me. It's um, very sensitive to people's journeys. And I'd rather just walk alongside you rather than tell you exactly what to believe and and how to believe. So what sparked you wanting to write this book? I'm really really intrigued because there are other books in this kind of field. What what do you feel when you were looking at what there was out there? Mm -hmm. um, Obviously, for you to write a book, you think, I can do this better. I, I've got something to say that other people aren't saying or, or whatever. Yeah. What do you, yes. what were you thinking? This is, this is what I, this is what's missing in this world. You know, you're mentioning a lot of people that are writing books now as well. And, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. honestly, you can have a hundred books on the same topic and that's a good thing because people listen to different people or come across a different book at different times, yeah. need yeah. a slightly different voice. But I do th- personally, I have thoughts on what makes it so unique, but um, mm-hmm. what, what do you mm-hmm. think that you are bringing to yeah. the table with this book? Uh, there are some, like I said, I think it's actual minimal, the amount of resources that are very specific to this kind of deconstructing, reconstructing journey. Um, and I think there's some good ones. I, I, For me, Kathy Escobar's book is right on top of the list. I really appreciate it. What's her book called again? Uh, Faith Shift. Yeah. Okay. Very, very practical exercises, beautifully articulates. My goodness. I, I love the book. Um. And she's accessible too. She just actually came out with a new book. But I, I think what I wanted to do was just be myself. But if you, if one was to ask me what makes my book unique, is I actually try to integrate theology, philosophy, psychology, and spiritual formation. Those, the all those lenses is what how I try to integrate, in, you know, and mm. and kind of write this book. And so, I mean, there's a whole chapter on like theodicy, right? Like how to make sense of evil and how to make sense of petitionary prayer. And how do you make sense of, listen, if God is real and God is love, how in the world did God not say anything to me Mm. as I was freaking munching on this terrible, toxic religious stuff? Like where was God in the midst of that? And so that gets into a little bit of kind of process theology process philosophy if you will mm-hmm. so i think integrating all those and weaving those in and neuroscience and yeah i think that's hopefully that what's what makes the book stand yeah. out a little bit well i'm intrigued by that dynamic because this is something i struggle with uh, to some degrees uh, and how i've portrayed um, teaching on certain topics has has evolved over the years where i'm much more open i'll, I'll present multiple views multiple ideas i might have a yeah. fairly rigid idea in my own head of going well obviously i think that's the best idea we, we all are going to pick something to be convicted of um but how did you navigate that knowing that you were coming from a place going 
I don't want to be, this is what you have to think, or this is, you know, this is the right thing. And if you just move from mm-hmm. this belief to this belief, everything will be fixed. Um, no. How did you go in? Was that a thing you were thinking? You sit down and go, right, I'm going to write about theodicy. Shit, how do I do this without telling people what, what to believe about theodicy? Yeah. Or, uh, it's really simple, though. It's, I, I always preface it with, you know, I, this is, I, I feel like I'm walking on sacred and blood-stained ground mm. as I try to articulate how I've come to see God working in the midst of evil and suffering in the world. This is how I've come to see it. And I don't want you to believe what I believe, right? Um, I actually think that there needs to be a level of anti-theodicy, of, of, you know, we need to have the ability to protest. Like, what the hell, God? Like, mm-hmm. even like, man, no one thinks about the insects and the animals. Like, yeah. compound that into the problem. My yeah. goodness. But, and I, I say this, and I must share. And because I, I kind of say it like this, everyone is sharing, including God is in control of everything. Uh, God, like I talk to people all the time. So if a woman is raped, you believe that was the will of God? Yes. Mm. It, it was the will and plan of God. This, There's no if, ands, and buts about it. Yeah. Um so I say to myself and I say to my readers, I can't not Speak say out. nothing. You know, even if I'm wrong, which of course I am to some degree, you know, to, to not speak is actually worse, worse than to speak. But if I'm going to speak, I'm going to do it mindfully and compassionately mm-hmm. and to not, this is my journey. This is what I've come to believe about God and evil and suffering. Yeah. For me, it's, the most plausible explanation right now that could change. But man, my shifting into believing, you know, what, what, what this means in trusting God and petitionary prayer and evil, how do I come to believe these things? Uh, you know, this hell and it's been liberating. Yeah. Like, so to get into the view specifically to emphasize God's uncontrolling love, to put it simply, has changed and transformed my faith. That's the bottom line. So to believe that God is not in control, but that God is loving, and then at the same time God is non-coercive and doesn't force God's will into situations, therefore I appeal to God's very nature of love, that God can't do that because God's nature is love. Love doesn't coerce and force and have its way. As opposed to God can, but says, eh, I'm just going to choose not to, or I'm going to choose to do over here. Yeah. Susie's got leukemia. She's five. Yeah. I'm going to heal. Oh, well, Sarah, she's got leukemia. She's six. Nah, I'm going to let her. Yeah. I can't. I no more. It's, that, it's that, wild. Yeah. Right. To even, it fascinates me. The whole concept of, of, of that just blows my mind. I, I, I often, yeah. Um, I often laugh as well because even our concepts of free will, even to go, well, God creates this free will and lets you do what you want. And it's like, yeah, but he made you, he, he, he had you 
you know, created by this family in Iraq who were then bombed by, you know, the Bush administration in the early 90s and his whole family died and then he met a terrorist who lived next door. It's like, he could have probably maybe had him born in, you know, like Michigan. That might have been a better option. So on some level, God's still a total asshole, right? Even if it's free will, it's like, yeah, but you kind of didn't set him up for a great run, you know? We can get you go, hey, you do what you want to do. God's giving Mm -hmm. you free reign, but he's put you in a minefield. Good luck, you know? And he's put other people in a playground. It's mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. kind of unfair. It's a, it, people fail to see that at some point you got to take a step back and go, something's not right with the nature of God. He's a bit of a weird, twisted guy. <laughs> Unless we start taking apart elements, you know, That's like right. looking at things. I, I like the idea of something like open theism where you go, mm-hmm. God just chooses to go, actually, hold on. I'm not going to live above this and, you know, pull the strings. I'm going to just go in it and live it and not even know yeah. what happens next, but actually yeah. experience it all and work with you in it. Um, that, that's mm-hmm. exciting to me. It makes a lot more sense, um, but it's a, a but theological isn't, isn't nightmare. Isn't it so important? <laughs> like, isn't it so important for those? Well, at least this is what I found that in the deconstruction reconstruction journey, our image of God and how God works in the world is is huge. Like yeah. trying to make sense of that, and so my attempt to do that with some of the the big issues uh, that we experience. You know, what does it mean to trust God again? Yeah. Like, I believe this stuff hook, line, and sinker. So someone who's deceived doesn't know they're deceived. Yeah. Right. So how how can I trust that God is this or God is this? So, man, so to me, to try to tackle those, I thought was really important. Yeah. No, I think I think you're right. And I I, th- I just had um, Keith Giles on. I don't know if you're familiar with Keith. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But he has, um, I think he's got six pillars of of deconstruction uh he calls them and so it's like kind of like these six theological principles that he feels that you gotta you gotta take these down if if you're gonna Mm -hmm. do this healthily and until Mm -hmm. you take these six pillars down and start you can't then build those back up and 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 rebuild um Mm -hmm. uh, we might part ways somewhat on on what should be rebuilt or not but i I actually really like his approach again it's very hands-off it's like hey you need to rebuild what you need to rebuild Uh, i love he's a beautiful man he's got um a course thing that he does called square That's one right. it's fantastic mm-hmm. um great guy but it is interesting because i do wonder sometimes i think you're right and i think people that start to deconstruct it's like okay let's give people tools let's give it's what i try and do go oh you figured out that god's a monster as you understand him mm-hmm. or some options right let me give you 10 different options to explore and think about and, and look at and i'll even tell you what i think are some of the best ones if you want to save you some time <laughs> and, but don't trust me because i'm an idiot a lot of the time you know so i might tell you what, if i look at my past decisions i wouldn't trust this guy um, right, right. but but i do wonder at times as well looking at those people and those places um did you did you read um Megan Phelps's book, or have you watched her TED talk? That she was, she's the granddaughter of Fred Phelps, the the, the originator oh, of um, Westboro uh, Baptist Church. West, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a long it, time ago. Her book is like I was weeping through it because I loved this community. Oh, actually, I, I haven't the, read her book. Read, I read the, the book, honestly. It's like the twenty wow. minute TED talk. Like, oh, just uh-huh. blow your freaking mind. I, I I stopped hanging out with my family over Christmas because someone gave it to me and I was like, you're all dead to me because this book is amazing. Um, <laughs> wow. Honestly, it was, it was so I cool. really want to have her on because I, I think yeah. her insights are extraordinary, but the way she humanized her family and, and I've, and I've, I've seen this in the people I know that are stuck in very rigid, very fundamentalist, in mm-hmm. my opinion, extraordinarily toxic beliefs. 
And I, I feel like there's a danger of me being presumptuous mm. to assume that all those beliefs are inherently toxic for them right now. Not to say that long-term they may be causing damage or that there's better beliefs they could have, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But understanding that people can only really be where they are. Mm -hmm. um, and I think sometimes my uh, early on in my process of deconstruction, I don't, you'll have your own process, obviously. In my process, it was to go into the Westboro Baptist Church and go, guys, you're idiots. What kind of moron God is doing that? You know, mm -hmm. like you obviously mm -hmm. need to do this. And what about this? And what about that? Um, and, and over the years, I've started to realize I'm, I'm yelling at a wall. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not making any difference. You know, you right, can go right. and share Bible verses with Fred Phelps. I mean, Fred Phelps has passed on, obviously, now, but like he's not mm -hmm. going to change his mind. Not anytime soon. Right. He's going right. to uh, uh, maybe some Rory and there's going to need to be some great suffering before anything kind of changes <laughs> there or, or, or maybe some great love. Um, mm -hmm. uh, maybe I should focus on being that person, not the suffering person. Right, right, um, right. But but do you, do you feel that there's potential, um, do you feel there's potential for us to overstep our bounds in presuming what's unhealthy or healthy? Or do you think there are just, I mean, from a psychological perspective, I'm sure you can go, no, some of this stuff is just really messed up shit that's going to screw you up for life. Um, mm -hmm. But do you think there is a, can you see that dynamic? Am I, am I completely off the ball on this? I don't know. It, it feels no, like something. I, yeah, yeah. I, I love what you're saying. And for me, it's important to, and this is the issue of some people who get out of Egypt wind up becoming the oppressor, which is interesting. And it could be as simple as, you know, getting out of that particular faith, but then not seeing those people who are in it as really human. There's a sense of labeling and dehumanizing, throw politics in the mix, forget it, mm. right? You believe that, that, you know, you're for this president, you know, you're not even human, you're dead to me. Yep. You're not, you're not even, you're subhuman, right? Yep. And so it's, it's sad that there's a loss, there's a dehumanizing, even for those of us who get out of, right, the, the oppressive Egypt. But so I think for me, I've always sought to keep that front and center. That whoever I am looking at, whoever this, you know, this maybe fundamentalist or conservative Christian, that's a label, number one. Number two, they're human like me. Mm. They have dreams, they have hopes, they have fears, they have relationships, right? They're, we're, don't, let's not forget that we're human, right? That you're human, yeah. that the Imago Dei must be within them too, right? Or where am I in my faith if I don't believe that, right? It's really interesting. But I think it's because in my book, I actually talk about, I think I list like 20 toxic uh, Christian beliefs, right? But there again, I preface it with, this is what I consider list. toxic. <laughs> this is my list. I understand you might have your list. So I think there's a way to be passionate about Calling out oppressive doctrines. Yeah. Right. We, we have to have a place to do that, but I need to give that place to you too. Right. Yeah. And you might, what I consider toxic, you know, you might consider treasureful. So, yeah, but it's so really I think tough. Cause yeah. you, you know, the line when, you know, like it's like someone's abusing someone, someone's hurting someone, you know, someone's um, beating someone or, or it, it, yeah. there's a huge inequality or injustice. You go, okay, let's call that out. 
but it becomes so much more subtle when it's a kind of a battleground of people's psyches and theology you know I mean? and, and yeah what do you do for example and i've asked myself this this guy has a family and he believes in eternal damnation he believes that human beings who they are predominantly is sinful their mm. righteousness is as filthy rags they can do nothing good within themselves they are in utter dire need of the grace of god but let's take that sort of you know hell-bound worm theology sometimes i say you know what they're entitled to believe what they believe like i said in the beginning of this talk you know like it's my family they just have mm-hmm. to quirky but then i say i sometimes i'm like oh my goodness that is from the pit of hell and then I feel angry and I feel like I feel sad and I feel like, oh my God, your kids are gonna grow up with that. Yeah. And the research that I'm doing now about all these traumatized folks and original sin theology and hell and eternal, they they could grow up like that. Yeah. And and have sleepless nights and struggle with panic attacks and anxiety and low self-esteem and low confidence. And then I'm like, my God, this is toxic. This is a freaking virus. It needs yeah. to be re- eradicated. I must say something. <laughs> so I vacillate between, oh, it's human. I know it's a different belief than I hold. I want to hold that space for you. And my God, don't you see what you're doing? This is toxic <laughs> as hell. You oh, bet it's between like Ram Dass and like Marley Monell. That's <laughs> like the two extremes. Right. Of like, oh, oh. Good, man. And like, ah, it's all bad. <laughs> I know. It's and really, it, it's, it is that's so, okay. that cycle has to be broken, right? And it has to be. And, yeah. you know, slavery has to be spoken against. You know, these, you know, we can all acknowledge that there's certain things in history where glad people were like, okay, yeah, we have been doing this for a while. And, yeah. Uh, maybe we should stop like you know, someone should be stepping out and, and making, you know, mm-hmm. a change and breaking the cycles. Um, and I, I think it is, it's really challenging when it is, it's more subtle. It's more accepted. It's much mm-hmm. more, uh, it's religious persecution, right? At the end of the day, it's, it's <laughs> like a freedom yeah. of speech or all these kind of different right. packages we can put on it that say I can, uh, in a, in certain frames of reference, mm-hmm. it's saying, I can abuse my kid. It's my kid. I can abuse him. That, right. And, and obviously that's very extreme language, right, but right, from right. a, from a psychological level, potentially that's exactly what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about engaging yeah. in, in some stuff that's potentially going to ingrain post-traumatic stress oh within this child. Um, but it's complicated it's right? because, because then I'm, I'm, I'm saying, well, I want you to be open to my view. Mm-hmm. And to be, you know, kind and respectful, and yeah. But then, 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 if I can get out of myself, I think, well, they think that my doctrine's from the pit of hell, mm-hmm. and that I'm actually poisoning kids' minds. You're raising kids to go straight to hell. Ah! Crazy. It's, yeah. It's, so it's, it's really it's so interesting. But it's I think really we can tough. do it. And my my sort of ethos, and especially online. I hopefully am a successful majority of the time is to be able to see the humanness and the image of God within the person and be very strong and witty and, um, and use logic to, mm. to defend against what I perceive as toxic theology. Yeah. 
but I always try to be aware of, I don't want to dehumanize you. Yeah. But I will try to kick that, that doctor's ass. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very hard. I feel like um, as I've gone on my journey, I've associated with my beliefs a little less. My, my belief and my identity is less interwoven, probably still very much is. I've no doubt about it. Um, but it's a, it's a lot harder. You know, so for, if you were to challenge me on something mm. I said I believed, I'd be like, maybe, who knows? Yeah, good call. Um, right, right, whereas, right. and I'd certainly listen and I'd be open to some feedback. I might get a little upset. I might get a little bit defensive. I might even, mm-hmm. you know, change the tone of my voice as I respond to being a bit defensive. Maybe, of course. Um, but you do that with someone that's a bit more fundamental and, and it's, it's a lot harder. You, we, can, we can go, oh, I'm, I'm talking about this belief you have. I'm not, I'm not attacking you. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. You are attacking that person because they are their belief. You, you know, there's, right. there's this right. interwoven. Fused, fused, yeah. um, mm-hmm. do, do you think there's things that we can do to, to kind of eke that out of people? you know, uh, from a more psychological uh, perspective of, of, of understanding how people think, is there a way that we can kind of help people pull those apart and, and see that we're not attacking them? You know what I mean? Like, is there techniques like Pascal's wager, you know, these kind of like um, yeah. approaches? Is, is that something that you're aware of and, and, and try and engage with? You talked about working with a, a, a partner yeah, yeah. that isn't deconstructing exactly. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, there, there's one way of looking at it and seeing that it's, it's in a sense, narcissism. And narcissism requires, you know, the identity does get wrapped up into this, you know, the beliefs, me and beliefs were fused, right? Mm. The identity, the community, the sacred object, the sacred text. It's really hard to break people out of that. You know, I mean, once again, I, I think... The, the tactic of Jesus is seldom used. Uh, I, I can't go there. But uh, I wonder if calling people whitewashed tombs <laughs> would work Brood for some people. <laughs> right? you're, you're on your father, the devil. Um, now, what's interesting is people say, I want to be like Jesus. And, and that, that is a tactic that he did use yeah. for extremely religious people. Uh, but I, I just, it's not my personality. But I do wonder if that would work on occasion. Might might get you shot, you know, the the, the modern day equivalent of a cross. <laughs> yeah, but what we do find, and this is through Heinz Kohut's work on on kind of narcissism and how beliefs and fundamentalism is intertwined with texts like that, it's sort of this weird, relentless empathy, right? Mm. That no matter what you throw at me, I will humanize you. I, it's sort of like that passage of heaping hot coals on the person's head. How? By loving them, right? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes love has this effect of feeling very uncomfortable for people. But, I mean, listen, there's no guarantee, right? But we do know that sometimes if you go in strong, it only solidifies their belief as a prophet of God. Yeah. But sometimes being subversive with love and wisdom and kindness can help kind of soften some people's hearts. Yeah. But there's just some who's going to, like you said, you know, what uh, Fred there, you know, went to his grave believing what he did. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe there was, there was a whole thing where he, uh, he was out on the streets, you know, they had the the house across the road from them that was the gay house and it was like rainbow colored and it was gay people that lived there. Mm -hmm. And like, it was a big deal. Apparently 
in the last few months, he went out on the, the yard and he was yelling at the house. He was saying, God loves you too. God loves you. You're good people. You're good people. Oh, come um, on. Really? And, uh, that was hush hushed. It was uh, covered up. They denied any of it ever happened. They wouldn't let okay. um, Megan and her sister visit the grandfather. They put him in a home immediately and, and shut down any access to visit him. So yeah, yeah. it was maybe some form of dementia, a lot of things going on. But <laughs> you're like, man, that's cool. possible, right? You know, who knows what's going on there? But so I, I have no idea. But and, and that to me, I'm like, wow, you know, you look at someone like Megan Phelps and you go, hey, dude, if you can be brought up in that and and, and what mm. helps her, you know, the TED talk that she does on on how do you reach people like me, people that are mm. like full blown in a cult? How do mm-hmm. you reach me? The question is, uh, the answer is you love me. You show me mm-hmm. kindness. You engage mm-hmm. with me on, on that level. Uh, beautiful, right. beautiful uh, mm-hmm. uh, story. And it's not always the answer. Sometimes it is yell at them. You whitewash tomb. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that yeah, works yeah. for some people. Um, but the dynamics at play, you know, I'm always fascinated by the Westboro Baptist Church. There's a guy in there who was a journalist and he went to Westboro Baptist Church to to do a, a paper on them. You know, he was going to write mm-hmm. for the paper uh, mm-hmm. about this crazy, insane cult. He's an atheist. He goes in, he gets saved. And he's now a part of the cult. And he's been a part of the cult for like a decade now. And you're like, <laughs> what? Um, and, and you just realize, actually, this is something that fascinates me. I love watching documentaries about cults. I watched the Waco uh, uh, remake. There was like a, a it wasn't a documentary. It was like a, a dramatization of it. Uh, mm-hmm. um, 2018 is fantastic. If people haven't seen it, if you've not seen it, it's worth watching. I was told it's on Netflix, but I couldn't find it on Netflix. Oh, interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I also watched um, Wild West Country, probably the best documentary yes. I've ever seen. I mean, I, God, that was gripping. Um, just, I watched these cult documentaries, uh, The Path on Amazon, or I think it's on Hulu in, in the US. The Path is an amazing drama about a cult. Um, and, and unfortunately it got canned at the end of season three. So there's not much resolve, uh, which kills me. Um, but it was yeah. amazing. And, and I watched these things and my wife laughs at me, but I'm like, God, I want to be a part of a cult. Like there's this thing in me that just draws me in. And I'm like, I, this is so, you know what, if we could tick some of these boxes, but maybe not the one let's kill people that try and leave or, you know, let's, let's I don't know, try and poison the neighboring town that disagrees with us or yeah. whatever, but kind of crazy. We don't let people leave. Oh, maybe we should sleep with all the women um, and like have celibacy amongst all men apart from one guy. You know, it's like, Okay, right right, 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 right. You lost me there. <laughs> and what's amazing is how many people you don't lose at that point. It's astonishing. But there's something in in the dynamics of, of these close-knit, beautiful communities that are loving, that are amazing families. There's something about them. Maybe, maybe I'm a psycho. I don't know. Maybe you don't know at all what I'm talking about. But I, I can't help but watch these things. You watch the first episode of Wild West Country, and I'm like, dude, I'm in. I'm moving to Oregon. I'm going to be part of this awesome hippie community. It sounds amazing. Um, yeah. What is but, but, that? What, what but, is it that draws us to that? It's it's paradise, man. I mean, look at that wild west country, right? People were just like it seemed utter bliss. It like just looks amazing. Community and working together and, and like, you know, there there was some kind of free love there and you know, I'm sure yeah, wonderful yeah. actual experiences. But look at the dancing, right? The just the free flowing, not giving a damn, ultimate freedom, yeah. full desire, sensuality, just experiencing the moment without judgment without judging mm. you god that's there's something animalistic yet liberating about 
that kind of environment. Yeah. But, you know, underneath the scenes too was a whole bunch of really scary things. <laughs> you know, it wasn't as uh, uh, para, para, paradisic uh, as it could do, be. Do you think that, do you think there's something about, I, I wonder, you know, because there's all these different dynamics that we can go, oh, you know, what is that? What's going on? But there's something about it that is deeply human as well. There is, it's deeply, it almost, you know, we, we can have these moments as humans where we go, oh, this is what life's about. You know, we, we get together with friends. We have a beautiful evening. We laugh, we cry, we share our pains and our, and our joys. And we have an amazing time. And you, you just know this, this is what life was for. You know, I don't care about the, my work or, you know, I don't care about this. Or that. It's just this, or you have times with your kids or whatever. And it, and it feels like there's elements when I'm watching these kind of cultish things play out. I, I haven't been a part of a cult. Maybe some people would say I have different affiliations I have in my past. But, um, but I've been a part of churches where I've, I've felt that, you know, and that's maybe part of what draws me into those elements. And yeah, there's then the negative things that, you know, you start to look at and go, oh, I don't like that. I want to leave. Do, do you think there's something in that that we're, we're almost called to, that we, we need to be? As, as humans, you know, if we can look at this journey of, of deconstruction, reconstruction as some form of evolving, of growing, of developing in spirituality, hopefully moving in a, in a positive direction, is part of that direction building some form of community? Is there a structure around this that is healthy, that is good? Or do you, do you inherently just go, oh, no, it feels a little bit like that last thing we were a part of? I, I, I don't know if you've got thoughts on that. Yeah. <laughs> how we're wired as humans is that kind of a needed thing you know we talk about that tribal element we're made to be in communities of 150 people or so you know we're not made for mega churches but we're not made to sit in their house alone on you know on lockdown or whatever um yeah i mean when when we ask the question what when do we feel the most alive and i think a lot of times people say i mean it's so different like here we here again every you know, when I'm on the top of the mountain and I'm looking down and it's like, you know, no one's around. Yeah. But there, so, but there's about that human connection about human, like we're wired to belong from birth to earth, from the cradle to the grave, from womb to tomb, right? We're just, we need other people and our nervous systems are wired to belong and feel that sense of connection and there's something beautiful about it. I think the times when I'm most alive personally is sex is good, orgasm is great, but it's it's human connection. It's like mm. connecting with you on a human level where, you know, it's not about paying the bills. It's like I'm lost in my conversation with you. Mm. It's something I'm passionate about. I don't feel judgment from you. I feel connection there's something beautiful about that and why it feels so beautiful is because it's so uncommon mm. you know when you're in the hustle and bustle when you're taking care of the kids and you got to pay the bills to have this i mean people sometimes therapy is the professionalization of friendships it's like oh well this person's listening to me yeah how many people do you have in your life that zero yeah. like god we're so we're aching for just human uh, authenticity and witness it's it's uh, but i will say that there's a there's a a pull for that but on a push of you're too close mm -hmm. i need my space i need yeah. some sort of autonomy 
because as much as people yeah. want to be close, people don't want to be as close as they think they want to be. Yeah. Do you think that's where a lot of these things go sideways? With 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 it's too close knit, it's too uh, it's too vulnerable. It's too you know. I need a bit of space. I need some modicum of safety. Because yeah. in in you saying that, I'm like, yeah, I can definitely see that actually as a part of our dynamics at church, our dynamics in, in these kind of cults as you observe them. Like, there's definitely part of that. This this we're all one, but you know what? Oh, I need a bit of identity outside of the oneness this kind of our marginalized kind of humanity yeah well i i think that i think you think that but i think my perception being in a cult there you're so fused with the community that it becomes more you know it becomes more communalistic rather than yeah trenched you know western individualism yeah um, certainly in other cultures they have this collectivistic mindset yeah. you know so yeah i think it's I think for the most part, there's just this fusion with the one. Yeah. Like it's, it's we, it's like not even I, like you yeah. see the people working their butts off and they're, yeah, smiling, they're right. smiling, right? Like working in the sun, doing this hard label, b- building these houses and they're, Hey, and they're like, they're yes. not high on drugs. No. They're high in being a part of this community that transcends even themselves, right? Yeah. For a grander purpose to be the, the light of the world. It's yeah. And I, I want to go build a house with them now. You know I mean? It's infectious. Right? It, there's something really? about it that draws us. I, I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm an extreme introvert. So I actually really, really don't like being around people a lot of the time. But yeah. my wife laughs. I work in my office for like probably 12 hours a day on and off uh, here and there. And I still, I'll, I'll go and hang out with her for a few hours and go, I kind of want to be alone now for like a little bit because I'm, I'm tired. I, I get really yeah, yeah. burned out fast, mm-hmm. but I'm desperate to be around people a lot, like constantly. Mm-hmm. Like, let's get our friends together. Let's, let's hang out. Let's do stuff. So yeah. I, I'm constantly swinging back and forward. Um, but yeah, there's something about it. There's something about being part of something. You know, you know I, I just yeah. think it's, it's fascinating to me, really. And I think this is what... You know, uh, the amount of studies I've seen on people that are de-churched, deconstructing, leaving um, their communities, the number one, th- I think I posted today, what did you grieve the most when you when you started to deconstruct? Um, and people were posting on Facebook and Instagram. And I knew I knew what was going to come up. I just wanted some, mm-hmm. some to see people, how people worded it, what they looked like. Yeah. I knew the number one response. You know what the number one response is. The community, they, they lost their friends, their family, their, they lost God. Yeah. They lost their mm-hmm. own identity. They lost their certainty. They lost a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you could list things you mm-hmm. lose for hours. You, you list them in the book, you know, a lot of things, but right. the community is the biggie. It's, it's yeah. being part of something, having people that listen, having people that understand, having people that are That's right. with you. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, <laughs> it's, it's hard yeah, I mean, to do as well, yeah. as far as what we're doing in deconstructing. This, where do you go to find other people who are deconstructing, right? So this is why I built the deconstruction network so people could find people in their area because you leave the Baptist church because you are now a bit more charismatic. You know where to go. Go to the charismatic church, right? Or vice versa, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, I know yeah. where the other charismatics are. I'll go to the charismatic church. So I'll work my way through them. But you mm-hmm, leave mm-hmm. a church because this isn't doing it for me anymore and I'm not sure I believe in this and I don't really want to get together and do this kind of weird dynamic mm-hmm, of what God mm-hmm. is. I'd rather do... Oh, what do I do? Where do I go? Where are people yeah. like me going? We yeah. don't know. Yeah, yeah, and and at some point, people, you know, they they leave 
your network. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm, yeah, all I hear about is like deconstruction and faith and this and that and, you know, the, this loss and grief and, okay, I'm, I'm at a different place now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really- and then they, then they, you know, hopefully find people that are in the station where they are. Right. Yeah. Do you think we have to live with people at the same station? Or, or maybe not have to, but do you think that's the most healthy way to live? Um, well, there's, there's healthy and then there's what brings the most comfort. Uh, <laughs> but, but what always brings the most comfort may not be what's most healthy. Right. So, I mean, I would encourage people to hang out with people in all different stations, mm. all different walks of life. Right. And at the same time for you and your journey, you might find the most comfort in not being around this group but being around this people because they help you feel they norm they help you feel normal yeah. like you're not crazy like oh my god you believe that too there's that you know universalizing that so you feel okay you don't feel crazy out of your mind heretic you know you're going to hell and there's something really comforting about you believing similarly to me yeah. is that is that the most is that healthy it's healthy and, you know, you might uh, also hang out with people in station four or five or six. Yeah. And actually that could help you get out of maybe a rut you might find yourself in or learn a lesson or two here or there. But yeah, mm. hang out with all kinds of folks. Yeah. Cause that's, that's you, something I've, yeah. when I started the network, my, my heart was people get messaging me going, do you know anyone in Cleveland? Do you know anyone in Chile? Do you know anyone in London? And I'm like, uh, yeah, but I can't remember who they are. And I'm certainly not going to be able to put you in touch. Like, right. So I was just like, right, I'm going to put a map on the website where you can that's just beautiful. put a dot where you are and then find people. And, and that's beautiful. been really helpful. And people have found each other all over the world. It's beautiful. But what fascinated me, I didn't, I knew this, but I didn't think it through. Is mm-hmm. I, and I picked any. I didn't care what it was called. I was like, how do I frame this in a way that will attract the people that need it the most right now? So I was like, deconstruction. When you're in that place, it's the most lonely, I think. And so mm-hmm. I'll call it a deconstruction. Network, whatever we can rename it later, and it's probably a nightmare to rename now. Um, but, um, but what's interesting is how many people are in a very different place, but would identify as deconstructing it. And so what I found was, mm-hmm. you know, you can click on LA today, and it's probably forty people in LA. Um, and so mm. you can go, amazing. Oh, I can finally connect with all these people. But what's mm. interesting is if you're deconstructing in a certain way, you can click through every single one of those people and send them a message and say, hey, do you want to connect? And you can go and meet up with them for coffee. And you can mm. walk away going, God, I don't want to hang out with any of those people ever again because they're deconstructing in a different way or they're at a slightly different station or mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? And then there's people that are yeah. in a different place and go, but that's actually what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something a bit different. It feels yeah. like, is, this, is there something that we can do when we're deconstructing that softens us to that? Or do you think that's just part of the journey? We, we are quite rigid and black and white, maybe at the beginning stages of deconstructing. Mm-hmm. I think this is something we haven't talked about. Yeah, I don't know if this is a side thing, but I, I think part of it too is we're sometimes we're grieving we're grieving something different than we think it is. And I talk a little bit about this in the book, but sometimes we, we think our issues that are going on, our struggles, our emotional, spiritual, it's because of the church. But sometimes it's about other things in our life. 
Like it, there's this defense called displacement. And I know mm. for me, I was angry at the church, but if I was honest, I was angry because I was never parented by my parents. Mm. Right. So it's almost like this transference, you know, like this projection where the, the church is the surrogate mom and dad. And I'm going to share my, pour my angst on the church as they're symbolic of the parents that I never had. So I'm really grieving more than the church, but the church becomes a scapegoat. It's a really interesting dynamic, not, not talked about a lot. And it's not in every case, of course. Mm. But sometimes there's the church can be a scapegoat for, you know, your grieving trauma, early childhood trauma, right? Childhood from, you know, abandonment from your parents or, or you know, you tried to be successful in a career you never could, mm. right? Or relationships failed many times, you know, going through this divorce or this breakup or, you know, just to maybe lost somebody, an uncle. So all these things, it could be churning in there. And I'm just going to, oh, well, the church this, mm. and this pastor this, and this. And sometimes it's, it's more than that. And sometimes when we meet with people, it's like, this was good, but I'm still feeling empty. Right. There's still something I'm not, this is it, but this isn't it. This isn't hitting what I really need emotionally and spiritually. Yeah. I'm just throwing that in there. Sometimes it's uh, interesting. That's huge. You know, I, I'm just thinking about myself, you know, Probably in the midst of my deconstruction, I, I was married before my present marriage, um, and that obviously didn't go well. I'm not a polygamist. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, I went through what was very painful for me, uh, knowing and, and, ex and experiencing life. It was probably a very, very healthy and good divorce as far as things mm -hmm. go. Uh, but it was very painful for me. I didn't want to yeah. get divorced, I was, uh, especially because I was in ministry and I had a lot of my identity was wrapped up in just just being married, not even in the marriage, but just that's an identity to some degree as well. It's like, oh, I'm married. Mm -hmm. If I'm divorced, that's a totally different identity as a, as a minister, as a, yeah. you know, as a leader. Um, and so there's all sorts of different stuff in that. But mm -hmm. I, I often think about um, different pains and sufferings I have that I, uh, I'm not as in touch with my emotions. I've got something called alexithymia, which means I, I actually, mm -hmm. I, I don't know what my emotions are. I have to kind of reflect upon. So I can be red in the face and throwing things. I don't really get that angry, but I yeah. wouldn't know I was angry. I'd have yeah. to literally stop and go, wait, I'm throwing things. I'm red. I'm hot. Oh, I'm angry. And about 10% of the population have alexithymia to some degree. And That's I probably right. have it a little stronger than, than many people. Um, so, so it's quite hard for me to engage emotionally a lot of yeah, time. And actually, yeah. through the process of divorce, it was through going to marriage therapy that the, 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 the clinical psychologist we were working with was like, Phil, I think you've got, like, you maybe want to look into this and kind of do some work in like trying to connect to your emotions. Right. But my, my point being, one of the things mm -hmm. that I'm, I often wonder about is how some of these things, my, my relationship that failed, or maybe my, my relationship with mm -hmm. my parents, which I think. Alexithymia yeah. can be a physical element. There can be physical elements within the brain that um, mm -hmm. cause it. But a lot of times mm -hmm. it's linked to early childhood trauma and things like that. And so I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, how did my early childhood maybe link to this? But I often wonder, I, I probably spent 10 years in mm -hmm. church knowing I'm not going to be in church much longer, but mm -hmm. making it work. Can I make this work? Can I, can I really make this work? And a huge part of that, I wonder, is it, 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 in reflection, 
Mm. Like some level of displacement of me not being able to deal with the fact I couldn't make my marriage work and I wanted to make it work, but it didn't work and I couldn't. Yeah. And, and that kind of and, yeah. and stuff like that, you just don't think, you know, that's not something no. I would, no. I would uh, just through my own introspection, I, I'm not qualified enough to kind of come up with such an amazing concept or theory. <laughs> um, it does right, require right. Some, someone with, with some insight, yeah. insight to be able to look mm-hmm. maybe from a, 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 the safety of a third person just observing, but also having mm-hmm. understanding of the, the dynamics of what we do as humans. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think I, I recommend therapy so much to people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I had a, if I had a licensed therapist that was giving me a referral fee, I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> I'd be, I'd retire. Um, but it, it's yeah. such a huge deal. I think, did you think, yeah. would you concur? I know you're very biased in this, um, mm. but do you think, with the amount of trauma and how and I know not everyone has trauma, at least certainly mm-hmm. not to the same degrees, mm-hmm. but with mm-hmm. the amount of psychological kind of torment that this does cause, do you think that the that, that kind of therapy get coming alongside with someone that's trained and, and can mm-hmm. maybe walk you through some of these pains and sufferings as you go through, would you recommend that as a path for, for a lot of people? Mm-mm-mm, brother, you know, I'm biased, but listen, it's hard to be your own therapist. Yeah. You could be someone like yourself who I'm going through the world and I don't even realize there's another hidden world in there. Yeah. Either called the unconscious or simply my feelings mm-hmm. that I'm not fully aware of that is in some ways affecting how I interact with myself and others and with God. And there's some research on that too, you know, how our early childhood relationship with mom and dad affects our relationship with God. And, mm. but it's, you know, we, we can't, we need other people. And in this context, having a trained, compassionate other who can help navigate this alongside with you can help you put words to things that you've never thought about ask questions you never thought about asking yourself. I mean, it's, it's priceless. It really yeah. is, Phil. It's, it's, you know, I mean, I've done my own work as, you know, I've gone through significant trauma in life mm. and uh, there's, it's beautiful. It's yeah. a beautiful process. You just got to find the right person. Sometimes yeah. it's hard enough in itself. Are, are there, talk to you about this a bit. I, I know we are getting on for time and I, and I want to be sensitive <laughs> uh, on your side thinking, crap, I've got to go. Um, but we will wrap up, but I'm really intrigued by this as well. You know, so I have my own kind of makeup that makes therapy quite hard for me. So alexithymia is hard to work with. Um, I also have aphantasia, so I, I don't have a visual, I can't visualize things in my head, mm. which is a fascinating mm-hmm. condition that's fascinating. much more rare. Um, and, and those two combined are a bloody nightmare because almost every therapy that's used to work with uh, alexithymia is to go and visualize a past memory and then try and figure out how you were feeling like observing it i can't observe it i can't picture i only learned about three years it was three years ago i talked to my wife and she was like oh yeah i was watching you know i was thinking about this time when i was kids i was wearing this and i was talking to my parents and i'm like how do you remember all those details and she's like well i just see it and i i I literally i I just i wept Uh, i was so crushed that people can watch their memories. I was like, my mom died and I can't picture what she looks like. I, I don't, mm. I, I can't do that. I can tell you the data. I think that she had brown hair. I had to tell you what her face mm-hmm. was like, but I, yeah, I can't yeah. picture that. And I'm like, you're telling me I could go back to when I was six and relive. I know, I know it. Not everyone's quite like that. You know, I can yeah, yeah. play on a cassette right, tape right, and right. watch my childhood. Um, and so that's complex. And so there's an element where people have um, 
different makeups would mm. determine different therapy types, you know, you know, <laughs> ACT, CAT, yeah, you know, CBT, yeah, yeah. whatever. But in that, I also know that certain therapy types are helpful with certain conditions. Um, mm -hmm. And so people that are working through specifically religious trauma, is there um, specific mm -hmm. um, therapy types, you know, when they're looking to pick someone that's a therapist that you would recommend, hey, here's a good starting point, at least these kind of couple of disciplines to to be yeah. working through, or maybe not as well. I'm kind of just yeah. asking. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's a great question. I think first and foremost, to find a person who knows what you're going through. I mean, so many therapists, I mean, there's a big kind of push for multicultural competence mm. in the work that we do. But one of the neglected areas, and this is, you know, researched as well, is uh, spiritual competence, working with spiritual or religious clients. So it's an opportunity to, of growth for a lot of therapists. Mm. But having a therapist, ideally, who's gone through this journey is, is man, that's going to be huge, right? Yeah. Or if not gone through the journey, maybe a Christian who's, you know, who's uh, lived life a bit, who, who has experiences, who has worked with, you know, people who've gone through religious trauma. In other yeah. words, you don't want to find somebody who just doesn't know much about has it. Has no idea what's going on. Mm. You know, because it's it's hard to, you, it'll be hard to relate to them yeah. in, in a really deep way. Although it's possible to some extent. But ideally, if you can find, so that's number one, finding somebody who's done this kind of work with people. Yeah. But two, as far as a model of therapy, I think going back to, you know, stay away from talk therapy. Um, and what I mean by that is find an approach that's experiential, that takes the body seriously, that is trauma-informed, that maybe is read, you know, Bessel van der Kolk's, you know, the body keeps mm. the score, you know, is, is understanding of how trauma affects us. Yeah. And uh, so any, and there's a multiple approaches that one can, can look at. Sure. Yeah. On, on that first point, I'm fascinated as well, because this is something I really struggle finding the line in this, but um, mm. there's a whole world of quote unquote therapy um, that is uh, less, um, less driven by its core ethic. Uh, and, and so you'll find that there are certain paths you can go down when you look at therapy, where you stumble into a world where the therapist is a Christian and has an agenda to, mm -hmm. on some path. Where, and and if a genuine, maybe they have genuinely feel a conflict of going, well, I know I shouldn't be getting involved, but this person's going to hell or you know, they're, they're working through it. Mm -hmm. But actually, I find there's a whole world in there where maybe they're not actually licensed professionally to the same standards or they don't understand kind of that mm -hmm. dynamic. That, that happens, um, but you know, I, I know I know a lot of Christian therapists that are pastors, right? I mean, that's that's my kind of dynamic. But yeah. even I've I've come across people that have gone to uh, professional licensed therapists with doctorates in therapy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who are Christian, and it has been a very very bad ride for them. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's not common, but it happens. And yeah, yeah, and so yeah. I'm I'm often trying to explain this to people if you need to find someone that's got some sort of world of experience in this remit because it's really you know this is Winnell's big thing right she bangs that drum constantly no yeah, one yeah, understands yeah. this people need to understand it people need trained in this um so you need that but 
you want to avoid Christians like a plague in some way, shape, or form as well, right? On some level, you can understand what I'm saying. I don't know yeah. Christians, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's a conundrum, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I want to go to someone who understands. Most likely, I'm assuming they'll be Christian, but I don't want to. I don't want to do <laughs> Christianity right now. Jesus, yeah. is he going to give me a? He or she going to give me a Bible verse? Or I mean, this is, and I have to, you know, upfront and in, in the informed consent, we have that conversation. And some people right up front share their concerns. Hey, Mark, you know, I read your website. I know you're a Christian. I also know you're an ordained pastor. Um, you know, I got to be honest. It was that fact that we we didn't even want to come. We were kind of nervous. We came. But we just want to make sure that you're not going to kind of force yeah. your, your. And we so we have that conversation. It's, it's very mm. cool. And yeah, so yeah. It's, it's. Are there red flags people can look for? Because I know that. That sort of world is a very gray area where there's, there's all sorts of uh, accreditations people can claim that aren't really the same as going to someone that's maybe a bit more accredited. And and they may mm-hmm. find themselves bleeding their own personalities or opinions into things more than someone that's gone through the training to understand that's not how therapy works or you shouldn't be doing that. Um, I, obviously, you could probably only speak for American, uh, the American kind of world. Right. I wouldn't want people in Europe to be following because I know that there's different terms, even psychologists, psychotherapists and all kinds of different language. But what what would be things that people definitely want to keep an eye out for and avoid when they're looking for something like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, in the, in the States here, there's, there's, you know, there's ethics, there's guidelines, there's, uh, you know, you have to shoot for me to be a therapist. I had to do 3000 hours before I could even take the test to be licensed. It's very, very, very strict. So it's not like in other places where there's less guidelines and rules and structure around it. And, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm John. I'm, I do therapy, you know? Yeah. I did a weekend course online. (laughs) Right. And and that, that, that does happen. So, you know, for us, we have the, 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 the blessing of, well, hey, are you licensed? Yeah. It's a great question to ask, right? Right. So, you know, licensing, sometimes there's reviews online about uh, people. Word of mouth is always cool. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's it's hard to tell. The, the beautiful thing, though, is if you don't feel a connection in the first session, um, Walk typically, away, right? you're in control. You know, there's no contract here. This is you charting your own destiny. And if that first session you didn't feel connected and that there was some rapport building, you know, try someone else. Now, another caveat is if you try the 10th person, it could be something about you and just scared the hell uh, uh, you yeah. know, scared of intimacy. So, yeah. right. But yeah, those are a few things. That's really helpful. Thank you. Mark, we should, we should probably wrap up because uh, if anyone's still listening, I mean, they've got the fortitude of I Listen, I, I'm thinking like you're coming for dinner. Like we've been, <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is amazing. But I, I, for me, I, this is creates such richer, deeper, more interesting content than you know a quick forty-minute podcast where people go, "What's your book about?" Where you know, yeah, that, and that's it's it. beautiful. It's, it's not. No one. No one's going to know you quite like they'll know you through this chat. Um, but I one hundred percent believe that, Phil. 
I feel so privileged to be here converse, having a conversation with you. It was brilliant. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, thank honestly, yeah. thank you for making time. Not everyone, yeah. uh, most people are daunted when they hear I want to chat to them for a couple of hours. Oh God, but two, how am I going to keep talking? Um, right, right. How can people keep this conversation going with you, engage with you? Obviously, you've got your book coming out and that's, is it next week, the end of next week? It's next week. Will this come out after next week? Yeah, I think it'll probably come out next week or, or it might be the week after. So your book is out. <laughs> People oh, are watching good. this and your book is out probably. Good. Just just yeah. that. I love um, this and I love to interact with readers. And so if you purchase the book, you know, I, I love to hear experiences. Mm. You know, what resonated with you, what didn't. Send me an email. And uh, that would be Is that the best way to contact you through email through your website or something? Or yeah, that would yep. be the best what, what's way. your website? Um, well, there's two. My, my therapy website is markgregorycarroll.com, but I don't have a website for this topic. But my conspiringprayer.com okay. is, uh, you know, a little feisty and, and more has to do with uh, theodicy and petitionary cool. prayer. But if they go, they go there, I'll be able to find you. And, and are you on yeah. social media and stuff? You're on Instagram, Facebook, face just Facebook. Oh man, Facebook, man! I know. There's, I have Twitter somewhere. I don't use it a lot. I have this conversation with everyone, man. I'm like, come on, guys, you're gonna, you're gonna die out with all the grandpas. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Okay, yeah, so Facebook yeah. is a good place. Are you, and it's just Mark Harris. Is that how people can yeah, find yeah. you if they want to connect Mark, there as well? Sure. Yeah, Perfect. I love it. Oh, wonderful. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll hunt out the links and make sure I've got them right and I'll put them in the, the show notes itself. But uh, yeah, yeah, dude, this has been a privilege. Honestly, you're such an incredible, um, incredible human being with just such an amazing heart and, and such profound wisdom, that. which you're bringing from multi disciplines. You know, your background as a pastor, but also your, your background as a therapist. And, and, and you're very well studied. You know what you're talking about. You've, you've done the work. You know, I, yeah. I love a book with some with some actual like you know references in it and i'm like wow yeah you've read this book i read that book. that's cool that makes me feel better nice. at least um, awesome I, I found myself adding so many books to my wish list that you just mentioned in passing i'm like i've never heard of that book and, very cool um, so very cool. It, you're doing an amazing thing and honestly i think this book is appreciate that phil oh so helpful for so many people uh, i hope so really that's my appreciate heart. It. all right have you got another mm-hmm. book in the back of your mind you you're gonna be doing something else or it's you called you've, you've done it's called finishing finishing my doctorate Oh yeah, I'm in my dissertation right now, so oh, that's wow. I've got to finish that. What What are you working on? What's your th- What's your thesis that you're working? It is looking at shame, self criticism, and self compassion um, with trainees. Uh, so trainees who are affected by shame, self criticism, self compassion in their first year of practicum. Wow. So it's okay. You know, it, it delves into topics, you know, shame and self-compassion and is uh, work that I'm very passionate about. That's good work. Yeah. That's good so work. that's, I look forward to when it's done. It's, it's, my, it's my number oh one my thing goodness. I try and work on. We didn't talk um, about self-compassion. <laughs> right. Let's have you back on and we'll talk about self-compassion at some time. Right, yeah, Give us a couple listen. of months and we will talk because honestly... Yeah, 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 that's my, my, my jam is I've got books and books and workbooks and most of them are empty because I don't do enough. But, oh, my gosh, I am the least compassionate human being on myself. I am so compassionate. You come to me with the problem. You come to me screaming and yelling at me. I'm like, compassion, compassion, compassion. Right, I right. forget to put the oven on at the right time, and I am going to beat myself up for an hour. <laughs> you know? It's, yeah. it's Listen, Phil, Phil <laughs> treat yourself 
like the father of love or treat oh, and not the father of lies. Okay, my yeah, friend. That's it. Dude, just treat myself how I would treat everyone else. <laughs> there right? you go. Let's that's, keep it simple. I'm just mean to everyone, uh, to, to myself and no one else. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll have a, we'll have a therapy session. Yeah, that would be beautiful. All right. Well, All right, dude, thank you so much. And um, yeah, You're we'll welcome. definitely stay in touch and I'll let you know when this is, this is live. And, Very yeah. cool. Thank you, Perfect. Phil. Brilliant. Awesome. Love you, Take man. Take care, brother. Have a good one. Same here, man. You too. Bye-bye. All right, so that was Mark Karras. I hope you enjoyed that. I'm assuming if you made it this far, you did. Um, I would really, really encourage you to do check out his book, Religious Refugees, if you um, want to check out a resource that might help you uh, process some of the journey that you're going on as a deconstructing um, or even a reconstructing Christian, whatever those words might mean to you. Um, the, the book I found was a, a, a beautiful articulation of the painful process that we all go on. Um, but also a very hopeful look at what the journey might look like um, looking forward without being prescriptive or, or uh, requiring it to look like anything. Um, and so, yeah, Religious Refugees, I'll, I'll get a link in the show notes for that, um, or you can find it in any old bookstore, Amazon, you know the deal. Um, do check out Mark's website, Conspiring Prayer. That's a great way to connect with him. Um, you'll find links through that uh, onto Facebook, Instagram. You can email him. You can look a little bit more into his work uh, there as well. Um, if you want to know more about what we're doing, thegracecourse.com is a great resource for hundreds of free resources. Um, you can partner with me on what I'm doing. If you love these podcasts, the free resources we're doing, you can partner by giving as little as $5 a month um, to support what I'm doing and, and enable me to do this full time, which is what I do right now. That would be wonderful. Um, and of course, if you're deconstructing, the deconstructionnetwork.com is a hub for you to connect with other people that are going through the same process in your area. Uh, a lot of us are very lonely in that journey when it, when we start and we don't know how to connect with people that are going through something similar. There's nowhere uh, specifically that we can gather. You know, there's a Baptist church, there's a charismatic church, there's a, you know, independent Methodist church, but where is the group in which uh, people that are deconstructing their faith can gather. And so Deconstruction Network, you get to pop yourself on a map and you can message people that are in your area to try and connect and see if you click and maybe um, hopefully look to connecting in person, go to the pub together, get, get a coffee, whatever that looks like. Um, and so it would be great uh, for you to check that out and also to check out the research that we're doing through the Deconstruction Network. Uh, we're doing important research in trying to redefine who the deconstructing Christian is. So much of the definitions of, of those that leave church, of those that are going through um, major upheaval in their faith is uh, dictated by those who are from within the church or from those so far removed from it, they don't understand the different um, uh, complexities to deconstruction. And therefore, um, often this whole group is kind of swept under the rug, you know, by the church. They may be written off as backslidden Christians, as as non-Christians, as atheists. And, and that may be true for some, but it's probably not true for a good portion of deconstructing Christians. Um, and so uh, the hope is that we can start getting clear data and explain the complexities of this group and the nuances and, and maybe change some of the narrative um, that goes with uh, this group word deconstruction and so yeah please do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if that's your journey and you'd like to be a part of that and help um always everything i do is free so you know don't feel that i'm trying to plug anything i'm not trying to get any money out of you or anything like that i'm just trying to get resources into your hands to better your life to make your life a lot easier all right i'll see you next week for the next podcast ciao